Hey, this is Chris Lockwood, and you're listening to the Chris Lockwood Podcast, Alive. Welcome or welcome back to the Chris Lockwood Podcast, where we have the privilege of hearing from people just like you and me, who are seeking, learning, growing, striving to better understand just what it means to be fully alive and how that translates in the day-to-day. For starters, I have to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who's made their way over to Facebook, my website, my Tumblr page, or my SoundCloud, and taking the time to hit play and listen to my very first podcast with Ed Litton. I'm honored, I'm humbled, and I'm even more excited now than I was when I first came up with this crazy idea of doing a podcast, and it's all because of you. In the process of doing this, know that my goal is that it somehow serves you by offering some sort of inspiration, hope, maybe even a renewed perspective that moves you in a way where you feel compelled to embrace the challenges of life, whatever they may be, and thrive. We're all on a journey, and we all have something we can learn from one another. This podcast is about simply bringing people together and hopefully somehow helping one another. So for my second podcast, it's my joy to introduce Jason Barton. We were once business partners, More specifically, we were once a band called 33 Miles for almost 10 years. He truly is one of the finest singers you'll find in Nashville today. But more important than that, he's somebody I consider to be my friend and my brother. This is a story of a man who discovered his dream somewhat by accident at the age of five and the journey on which that dream has taken him. Sometimes the dream takes different forms and shapes and leads us into unknown territory, But the point is that we keep moving forward. We keep striving. I hope this inspires you to keep dreaming your dreams and to never lose hope. It's probably not going to be all fun and games. It's probably not going to look like all you envisioned it would be. But over time, you never know what good things may come of it all if you just stay the course. So we're going to go back all the way to when you were born. (laughs) Tell me about that day. No. <laughs> tell me, I know where you grew up, but tell me, tell the world about Gilbert, Louisiana. Oh man, Gilbert, Louisiana. What's not to tell? <laughs> it is the smallest place literally on the planet. It's a speed trap in Louisiana. I mean, people just know that. You do not speed going through there. You will get a ticket. There's not a red light. Um, the town is probably about 300 people now. Uh, when I was younger, oh my gosh, three hundred! Like it's it's called a village, it's not even a town. It's the village of Gilbert. It really is. And that sign is posted on the city hall, which is basically a shed. Um, you know, for those of you who live in Gilbert and who may be listening, I say that with the great pride, right? Big in term of endearment. I mean, <laughs> there's no other, you know, I guess building a city hall should be other than a shed, you know, small town. But I mean, it was, you're not joking. I'm not joking. It's it's not, it's literally that small. 
Um, we didn't get mail delivered to our house. It's so small. Like, uh, we have a post office, so if you want to get mail, you have to go to the post office. Um, I went to school right there in my community, played baseball in my community. I graduated with 27 people in my class. Um, I went to a K-12 through school where my parents both worked, so I always say that I was school-homed instead of homeschooled because yeah. my whole family was at school with me. Yeah. Um, was your mom there? Yeah, mom Because your dad was... It was a K-12 through school. <clears throat> so dad was the principal, yeah. mom taught... Um, okay, I didn't realize that. She taught all kinds of history. Huh. American history, Louisiana history, world history. No, I did know that. That's right, because yeah. you said you guys traveled... So, yeah, in the summers, because they were teachers, we had the whole summer to travel. So we would take, like, two- and three-week trips to go to all kinds of, like, national monuments and stuff. Yeah. The only one I hadn't seen when I left uh, home was Mount Rushmore. Right, which we saw together. Which we saw together. Which was a big disappointment. (laughs) Because it's so small. Well, I was just kind of... It was small, and I was kind of upset that we didn't get to walk up to it. Oh, I know. You know? Especially when you see people walking. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got to share that moment together. Okay, so, so, you know, Gilbert clearly, I don't know how many people are in Nashville. <laughs> Gilbert clearly is a village. Like, uh, like what possible things were there for, like, a young guy to do? I mean, we just spent a lot of our days. One of the best things about Gilbert was that you could go anywhere. My, I left the house in the morning with my friends on bikes, and... We would go out and just ride bikes and, you know, create forts out in the woods. And, you know, you could go and do anything and not worry. My parents never worried for our safety or anything like that. And, you know, if my mom was trying to find me, she'd just call around, you know, different houses. And have you seen Jason ride by? You know, is he over there? You know, like it was just one of those, you know, it was a real community. Like it was a great place to grow up because everybody knew everybody. Um, And there was a ton of stuff to do. I mean... I wasn't really into a lot of the stuff my friends were into because I was kind of a city boy trapped in the country. So, like, all of the hunting and the, you know... I mean, if we went frog hunting, I was the one, like, shining the flashlight. Frog hunting? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, or, you know, my grandfather was a huge turkey hunter uh, and squirrels and all kinds of stuff. (laughs) So, it was, you know, it was not a a rare day that I would go over there and find, like, squirrel skin hanging from a tree in his yard or a deer or you know, a turkey or so, but I wasn't, my dad didn't do that. My dad was not a hunter. So I think that's why I wasn't, but all of my friends were into it. What, like, when did you, like, was singing a big deal when you were really young or did, when did that happen? Singing happened in the fifth grade. Really? I mean, I've always enjoyed music my whole life, but in the fifth grade, um, we were having a school-wide talent show. Um, and a friend of mine in my class, his name was Hugh. And he and I decided we were going to be in the talent show. And I don't even know why. Like, they just, I'm, they made the announcement over the intercom. And we were like, hey, let's do this. And so we told his mom, who was also a teacher there. And she was like, oh, well, you guys can sing and I'll play the piano and we'll work on it together. And we were like, cool, let's do it. You know, we didn't know what we were doing. Seriously. Seriously. Like, like it was just more like a. There was no, there was nothing before that had led me to go, I want to be a singer and yeah. I want to sing. This was literally two boys just going, hey, let's be in the talent show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, what's your talent? I don't know. You know, oh my gosh. like, she basically told us what our talent was. Yours is singing. This is what you're going to do. It's a lot like pageants gonna, these days. Right. It was like, this is what you're going to do and this is what you're going to sing. We didn't have a choice in it. You know, she just took the reins and she she ran with it. Oh my gosh! So that's hysterical. Yeah, it's so uh, 
it's such a weird sort of it's almost <clears throat> clearly the universe <laughs> you were meant to be a singer and the universe came together I guess so. and led you into this I mean it was just it was one of those weird things because we won like it was a K through 12 talent show so we were competing against 12th graders and yeah. 11th graders and um, and we sang Bette Midler's The Rose of all things which is this awful song <laughs> but again no choice in the matter didn't even know any better yeah. you know um but we, we were dressed up in little suits, and we had, like, a table with a single rose on it and a picture of, like, our mom, you know, or a grandmother or some random person in a frame. And we sang the song, and we did, you know, harmony and stuff. And she really worked with us, like, you know, and uh, we beat out Balanzo Hollis, which was, the, like, he was the best <laughs> break dancer in our school. He could break dance like nobody's business. And... uh and everyone, of course, they said it was rigged, you know, because I was the principal's son. Yeah. But, uh, of course. But who's laughing now? I know. <laughs> Bada bing. So, like, there was no, um, there was, like, nobody that really inspired singing. It was just Nuh-uh. kind of almost by accident. Well, my grandmother sang. Uh-huh. Uh, she had uh, an alto voice, sang in the choir at church. And my dad loves to sing, as you well know. Yeah. And um, Was his group happening then? <laughs> his group was not happening okay. then. He kind of followed in my footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> in that aspect but yeah dad always has loved to sing uh and so singing has been in my family but like no one has ever like tried to do it as a career or yeah. anything like that it was just something they enjoyed yeah okay your brother and sister brad and Kristen, were you guys close did you get like were y'all, were y'all similar or was it kind of like no well brad and i we were all our family is was close yeah is close yeah um so brad was four years older than me so he was always you know when he's in high school, I'm in junior high, yeah. which doesn't really, you know, go that well. You know, I tried to tag along a lot. And when he needed me, you know, yeah. and would let me be a part of his world, you know, I was always there. Like, yeah. ironing his shirts for his dates. <laughs> I don't know any brother <clears throat> that would iron his brother's clothes. Younger brother. Yeah. Who would iron his older brother's clothes for a date. My brother, I mean, God bless him. He can't do any of that kind of stuff for himself. So he literally would come in and be like, Jason, I don't know how to iron this shirt, and hey, I got buddy. a date with Brandy tonight, and I got to look good. Can you iron this? And I'm I got like, a dollar. <laughs> oh, gee, do you think I got paid? <laughs> <laughs> no. I was like, okay, well, if you let me play basketball with you and your friends, you know, tomorrow. It was stuff like that, you know. But he, um, he was he was a good brother, yeah. and he he loved Jesus, and that was always evident. And yeah. I wanted to be like him. Yeah. Like I wanted to play basketball like him. He was a great basketball player. Had a college scholarship. Who's better now? He is. Is he really? Yeah. Because you're pretty no great. Doubt. Dude, I suck at basketball. Okay. Can I say that on here? Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. You can say a lot on here. I just remember that time we got in trouble online for saying suck. <laughs> Someone said they were never going to listen to our music again because we said that. And that was the downfall. <laughs> that <laughs> that's one when minute. it happened. And that's when it all fell but apart. But yeah, no. I mean, yeah. He's way better than yeah. I am. Yeah. What about Kristen? You guys? Kristen and I are super close. Yeah. And, and always, always have been. Okay. What, yeah. Who's... She's seven years younger than me. I'm the middle child. Okay. I'm the troubled middle kid who's always searching for his place in the family. Brad's the firstborn, and he's, you know, the successful one, and he's, you know, and then Kristen's the baby, of course, and I mean, you have a baby in your family, you know, the baby just kind of trumps all. Yeah. Um, So... I'm always just kind of like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> hey guys, Does anybody see me? Remember my name? You guys actually have me. <laughs> okay, so like, I mean, like you just said it, like your family is close. You always have been close. Like, yeah. What do you think, like looking back, what contributed 
to that? Like, what made you guys such a tight little unit? I think one of the things is my parents Mm -hmm. created a home that was loving um, and encouraging, and they they took us to church. We were raised in a Christian home, Mm -hmm. so anytime the church door was open, we were there, uh, whether we wanted to be or not. And even if I pitched a fit and you know, wanted to wear jeans and couldn't because back then, you know, the little country Baptist church wouldn't yeah. allow us to wear blue jeans to yeah. church. And, and you think Sunday night, hey, I'm going to wear blue jeans. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I tell my parents I don't even go to church on Sunday night now, <laughs> it's like, you're going to hell. <laughs> Not really, but you know what I'm saying. They know now. But yeah, so, I mean, we were always in church. Um, and I don't know, my parents just did a really good job of like um, creating moments for us. Mm-hmm taking us on family vacations, that was really important to them. Mm-hmm. Spending time together away from work and away from school and away from friends and just being together as a family. Yeah. Uh, looking back on it, like some of my favorite memories of, of being with them are on those trips. Mm-hmm. Um, just being together and my dad pulling crazy stunts, you know, and being super cheap and not wanting to pay for anything yeah. and like uh, cut corners and, you know, and it was fun. Right. Like, you know. Gosh. Just one time we were in, um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite stories, uh, in the Smokies uh, over near um, Gatlinburg. Right. There's a river. It's a man-made river. It's called the Nantahala. And you raft down it. Uh, people take rafting trips. And we were there in the Smokies camping. And Brad and I were like, oh, we want to go rafting because you can ride right on the road and right. see people going down it. And we were like, we want to go do that. And so dad checked into it and he was like, oh, geez, that's too much money. We're not doing that. He was like, but I tell you what we will do. So he drove us to a tire shop. He, <laughs> he drove us to a tire shop, bought like inner tubes from like tires yeah. and pulled off to the side of the road and showed mom where to go, like to, to drive down. And we put in the river in an inner tube. Everyone else is in rafts with, like, life vests and all kinds of gear. We are sitting in the middle of an inner tube. And these these rapids were huge, you know, especially for, like, a nine-year-old, you know. Oh, my gosh. And everyone is in these rafts. I literally remember floating past them because I was so light. Everyone's in this big raft, and they're hitting the waves, and I just zoom past them in an inner tube. Like... With a little Mickey Mouse ring around me because we didn't have a life vest. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How awesome. I could have died. Yeah. But that's what I like. I love that story. <laughs> and my life is full of moments like that. Yeah. Like just like building memories with my family, you know? Yeah. That's great. So, like, um, with your dad being principal <clears throat> and your mom, you know, being at the school, like, I mean, you're pretty, uh, don't, I know you're gonna laugh, but like, you're pretty conservative conservative personality you know what I mean like I mean like you're not wild um I mean within reason and uh but person of integrity do you think them being around all the time contributed to that like was that frustrating for you as a kid or like do you think it really helped or did you did it backfire eventually when you like left home I think it definitely helped keep me in line Mm -hmm. no doubt because they were there yeah like if I got in trouble in class the teacher would just take me out of the class and take me to my parents (laughs) There's no calling them. There's no calling right there. Like my teacher in math one time took me to my, she called on me and she said, Jason, uh, what's the answer to, you know, number five of the homework? And I was like, I don't know. She was like, did you not do your homework? I said, no, ma'am, I didn't. She was like, come with me. Took me (laughs) to my mother's class, pulled her out while she was giving a lecture, pulled her out and said, Danny Sue, Jason's not doing his homework. 
I was like, what other kid can you do this to? <laughs> like, you can't do this to another kid other than my brother or my sister. This is not fair. It's like a kid's nightmare. You know, but it did keep me in line. Yeah. That's not to say that I didn't get in trouble at school. Because yeah. I did. Yeah. I cheated on tests one time. And I got, like, cold busted. Cheated. Yeah, you would think, like, you wouldn't do that. That you'd yeah. be smart enough. Well, it was just <clears throat> one of those things of, like, you know, I... I felt like because of who my parents were, I may have like certain access to things, yeah. you know, like, <clears throat> you know, cause my dad would send me up to the school to get something for him and use his key. So I know what key opens the school or if I, you know, Oh my gosh. so yeah, I guess maybe it felt like I could like skirt around some things sometimes and no, yeah. not so much. Okay. So like art, artistic people like yourself, like say they had a hard time fitting in when they were younger. Was that you? No, I don't think so. Okay. Just because sports helped with that. Yeah. Um, like, what sports were you doing? I played baseball and basketball. Okay. My entire life, like, all the way through 18 years old. Didn't you get a scholarship, or? No, I did not. <clears throat> That's always been, like, this, like, I think I told that to Gabe one time, that uh, this college, basically, back it up, this college, so in, in high school, I loved basketball, yeah. and it probably was... Um, my favorite. I was probably better at baseball, but I loved basketball probably because of my brother. And I didn't think of playing college ball, but my coach said, hey, are you interested in playing college ball? Because I was talking to this coach and it's a junior college in Mississippi and they've expressed some interest in you. Would you be interested? And at that point I was basically like, no, I don't think I love it that much. Like Brad loved it. Yeah. And had he not, he got injured. Had he not been injured, he would have played. Yeah. But like me, I just, music was my thing. Okay. So like music was kind yeah. of a, a budding thing for you after the talent show or did after it After the talent work? show. So after the talent show, we took it on the road, man. Me and Hugh, we hit up all the local churches. <laughs> we sang the rose in church. And then we learned a couple other songs too to go with it. But we toured, man. How funny. We straight up toured. I didn't Northeast know Louisiana. Oh made a gosh. recording in a church. Yeah, dude. We were like elementary rock stars. So did you kind of know, like, when did you know, like, like I'm going to commit? So, okay. So the night of the talent show, I had this really weird moment. Like, a, Gilbert is super small. The school's super small. But we had an auditorium. And I remember being on the steps of the auditorium after we had won. And I was looking back in. And it was just the way the, it was like something out of a movie. The sun was... It was, you know, uh, dusk, the sun was setting, yeah. and so there was a glow, just a natural glow outside, and then the lights on the inside were glowing, and I was standing on the steps outside, and I could look in the window, and I could see people talking and mingling and hugging and congratulating everybody, and I remember at that moment, God told me, this is what I made you for. Huh. Was it kind of weird? It was super weird. Yeah. Um, I had only been a Christian about a year, um, and so... But it was almost audible. Yeah. Like, this is what this is what you've been created to do. And I've held on to that my entire life. Was that kind of a, um, was that a weird, like, I mean, like, was that kind of a first-time thing? It was you? definitely a first-time thing for me. Yeah. Aside from salvation. Yeah. Aside from hearing his voice then. Yeah. Um, and to be so, um, I felt like he was very obvious, mm-hmm. which I would... I would think for a fifth grader, you had, you got to be pretty obvious. Yeah. And he was. And uh, throughout life, anytime I've had any sort of like, you know, 
like my parents saying you should be you should be a pediatrician you love kids and you know and you're smart and go to school but be a doctor or you know do something else I have that that constant that moment, yeah. you know yeah. I like always look back on that and go but that's I could do that yeah that's not what I'm supposed to do was Gilbert a hard place to to like sort of hone music or definitely dude like, nobody did it yeah my grandfather played guitar um, but that was it yeah. he didn't sing. Yeah. Um, but no one in my family, other than my dad, is musical. Yeah. Um, so Did you take lessons or anything, vocal lessons? I took vocal there? lessons in high school. Okay. It wasn't until my junior year of high school that I started taking vocal lessons. Yeah. Um, but nobody did. None of my friends did. They right. wouldn't dare get up in front of uh, in church and sing. I had one friend. Her name was Kelly. And um, Kelly Beth, everybody in Louisiana has like two names, girls. Kelly here. Beth and the, the, the break dancer was what? <laughs> Belanzo. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Beth and I, we went to church together and we would sing together. Yeah. Um, and we would enter the 4-H talent show every year. And we literally won it like seven years straight. Because nobody else did it. Because nobody else did it. <laughs> nobody else. There was no, there was no competition because nobody else, you know, was musical. Nobody else did anything musical. Everything else was like, you know, dance or something, you know, like in those talent shows. Yeah. Like somebody would do a monologue or something like that. But, you know, monologues are great, but they're not going to compete with somebody singing. Yeah. I mean, you can watch a pageant and figure that out. So, like, so you were going, I guess you thought, hey, I'll go to college so, and do music. Was that the idea? Well, I think I wanted to, but I was scared. Yeah. Because I'm from Gilbert, and I don't know anybody that does music, and I don't even know if anything like that's possible. Yeah. You know? And how in the world am I going to, like, earn money doing this? Yeah. Um, and it was never, like, encouraged by my parents. They, my I said that wrong. My parents encouraged me in, in music. They praised me like crazy. Yeah. And any opportunity they had for me to sing, uh, whether it be at the house or whether it be at church or anywhere, they were all about getting me there. But whether it be financially viable. But when it came right? to a career, they never encouraged me to go into music yeah. for a career, ever. So I went to college, <clears throat> and I, I I got a vocal scholarship oh, wow. um, to college. Not a full ride or anything like that, but it paid for, like, books or, um, yeah. you know, something small. Food you went to plan Louisiana. Louisiana Tech okay. University. Which is how far from Gilbert? It's about... Driving back then, because the, um, the roads weren't four-laned and all that kind of stuff, it took about an hour and a half. So it was about 90 minutes away. Okay, that's not too bad. So it wasn't bad, yeah. but I never went home. Really? <laughs> never. Because it wasn't like... Um, okay, so like, was it because like, it wasn't, you realized there's another world out there kind of thing? or Yeah, definitely. Like My plan <clears throat> if, uh, was always to get out of it. Gilbert, mm-hmm. always, and everybody knew that. I made it clear to everybody. Yeah. Like I'm never coming back. Like I love y'all. I love this town. I love growing up here, but I'm not coming back here. Yeah. Like there is more to life than than this right here. And this and the thing that I had to realize too, that that life for some people is the life they're meant to live, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. Is a great life. Yeah. Um, but just the life that I was meant to live was beyond you know, those borders and I had to get out and I always knew that. It's funny. Like I remember the first time you had gone to Gilbert, you went home. I mean, this is 12, I mean, this is right as 33 miles started. And then Colin and I drove down there together. (laughs) I'd love to see the look (laughs) on your face. Just sort of like the, like where would like, did we make a wrong turn? Like, you know, like, and you had talked about it 
But I guess just the reality of like it really is. You know, Mobile is a small city, but it's still a city. Oh, dude! And so, like, it's a metropolis compared to Gilbert. And I was really shocked because what, the way you're describing it, it's hysterical. Because that is like, that is the way it is. The size of a neighborhood mm-hmm. in Mobile, yeah, is basically the yeah. size of Gilbert. <laughs> it's amazing. Hey, Gilbert is an awesome place. It is. It is a, and so, you know, but it's just it is so small compared to like Nashville, Tennessee. It's well, funny. and when you have big dreams mm-hmm. that yeah. are so much bigger than where you are. You know, you think, gosh, man, how am I ever, how am I ever going to accomplish this? Yeah. Like, how is this even possible? Yeah. So you go to Louisiana Tech, an hour and a half away. You have this great, somewhat sheltered home life. Um, did college present any growing pains? Like, was it like coming out of your shell or were you just went berserk, you know, when you got there? Or I didn't, dude. I'm such a rule follower, man. <laughs> I said You're this, afraid your dad was in the office down I said this to a friend the other day. I was like, I, I was a bound up rule follower. Yeah. Like, I had no desire to, to go crazy and be wild. Like, and I think that I was pretty judgmental of people that were. Like, and I immediately uh, got involved in the Baptist Student Union and I was going to chapel every day yeah. on campus. And um, so I was, uh, what's the right word? Um, I was basically not going to let myself go down a path of destruction. Yeah. You know, I was going to walk the straight and narrow. Yeah. Which is awesome and yet bizarre at the same time because, I mean, we have to talk about this. You were a cheerleader. (laughs) (laughs) I was. You know, I hate saying cheerleader because when you say cheerleader, you pitch a girl in a skirt. You were on the cheer squad. You got to think, I am basically Phil Dunphy. Yeah. (laughs) From Modern Family. If you've ever watched that show, I am Phil Dunphy. Like, he was a cheerleader in college. <laughs> like, I literally was Phil Dunphy. But the cool thing about, um, I was just looking for a way to meet people. Yeah. If you're going to meet girls. They're, and they're, I was a gymnast when I was a kid. Good. Like, that's one of the things I... Um, okay, I didn't realize that. I was, I took gymnastics uh, as a kid yeah. and actually went to a couple of meets and I always choked. Um, like, terrible choked. Yeah. But... I, you know, could do backflips and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so I saw this audition, you know, for or tryout or whatever for a uh, cheerleader. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. I could get some more scholarship money and I can meet people. And then if I, like, made it, I got to travel with the team. And I love sports. Yeah. So I'm like, I could be on the field, you know, or, you know, our basketball team, our girls' basketball team was really good at the time. We'd go, like, to the Final Four. And I was like, I could go to the Final Four. I was like, this could be really cool. So did you do well? Did so, it, yeah, we did. The year that I did, um, I did the varsity squad like two years, mm-hmm. and we made it to uh, the Eastern Final, and we lost the last game before the Final Four. Yeah. But when you go to that level, Nike still gives you like, or Adidas, I think it was, gives you all kinds of stuff. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I thought I was like, rock star. <laughs> you were. I mean, like the cheer squad is like... I mean, you, you want to meet people, so I would imagine the cheer squad is literally in the middle of the big parties, the big events, everything that's they happening were. on campus. So, like, did you participate in the party scene? I went sometimes with them, uh, basically to take care of them. Yeah. You know, I uh, I love every single person on that squad. They were all great people. Mm. Um, a lot of them were believers, but they were just going, you know, they were stepping out um, outside of maybe where they grew up and they were experiencing new things and they were going a little wild. Yeah. And, um, and I kind of saw my role 
uh, on that squad was just to be there yeah. and be their friend and not judge them. Because I, I did grow up thinking that I was better than everybody else because right. I followed the rules. And so college was a really cool experience for me to, like, I just, I was never around people like that. Mm. So to be around people like that and to learn how to love them and see them as Jesus sees them mm. and just to be their friend no matter what uh, was, like, one of the huge, biggest lessons I've ever learned. Yeah, I mean, life. like, I would imagine it was a bit of a learning curve to, like, to, like, was it hard to exhibit grace to people that you didn't agree with their lifestyle or was it that you loved them so much that it was, you know what I mean? Like, right. was, that, was that a tough I lesson? I think that learned? for me, uh, I, I want to say this to be true of myself. I feel like grace comes pretty easily for me. Mm. Um, with everyone that. except myself. Mm. Uh, grace comes really easy. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I don't think that I had trouble with it. Yeah. It was once I got to that point of realizing that I'm no better than them. Yeah. Like, we're on the same playing field here. Absolutely. The only difference is, you know, I'm covered by grace. Right. And because grace has been given to me, I need to give generously. Mm -hmm. And so once I got that and I understood it, I, I don't think I had trouble with it. Yeah. Were you, okay, so were you studying music at this time while you were there? I was. Like, so you had embraced music from day one. So, yeah, so I got a vocal scholarship. Mm -hmm. So I um, was training all through college. Yeah. But I didn't declare a music major until my junior year of college. Was that hard? Because, I mean, like, I, you know, I had a music degree, and I know, like, how um, demanding it can be time-wise. Was it doing cheer? You only did cheer two years? That you Three. Three. Okay, you did, was it hard to maintain both? It was hard. Yeah. I, I mean, I was literally into everything. Yeah. I was in club. I was in different clubs. I would be, like a, like, a leader at the BSU, leader of a small group. Yeah. Um, so I did... Yeah, cheerleading, that. I was always in a musical or some sort of performance. Uh, you know, I was in the concert choir and the chamber singers and all these different groups that were having rehearsals during the week. So on top of my studies, which I always typically took a full load, uh, I was into everything else. Yeah. Did you, like, was there ever a moment where you considered going in another direction when you were in college? Like, were you tempted to go change your major and do something else? Kind of happens to a lot of people. The only thing that uh, I almost did was my junior year, the end of my junior year, or maybe it was my sophomore year. Anyway, I'd done a musical, um, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and I played Joseph, and it was my first, like, big show to do. Yeah. And I fell in love with theater. Oh, yeah. And my director who was the director of theater at tech came to me and she said you know jason you could do this as a career like have you ever even thought about that and i was like no you know like i like to sing but i've never thought about theater as a as an option and she said well there's a school in cincinnati cincinnati conservatory of music yeah. she was like and i'm in good with them and they feed straight into broadway she was like you know would you consider you know, going there. Yeah. Um, and I said, let me think about it. And I thought about it for about a week <laughs> and said, no. Yeah. I just, I think I was afraid uh, more than anything that I, I grew up loving Christian music and I felt a call in my life to sing, you know, yeah. Christian music. Yeah. And so, um, although it was appealing, I said, you know, I yeah. said no. Yeah. But that was the only time. Okay, so 
Who was that that you were talking to? Sherry Skyro. Is that the one? You tell a story. You've told me before of someone sitting down with you telling you not to be cheap and not mm-hmm. to give up your dreams. Was that, was that, that her? That was her. Okay, so tell that story. Okay, so my senior year of college, I, we gra- I graduated, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, I basically went on the road with this group out of New Jersey who fed into Truth, mm-hmm. which you were in, because I loved Truth as a kid. What group was it? Uh, it was called Living Word. Yeah, Living Word. They were with, they're out of Jersey? Mm-hmm. Tom's okay. River, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. We called it Living Hell. <laughs> you can expound on that in a sec. <laughs> but it was called Living Word, and uh, I did that for nine months. And after that, I was like, I was just done. Huh? It just wasn't working out. And so I flew home, and Louisiana Tech offered me a job in the admissions office. And so... While I was in the admissions office, and I was never planning on staying there, and I told them that. I was like, I'll do some recruiting for you and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but I don't know what I'm going to do, but this is not what I want to do. Yeah. And so I basically did that, and I decided that I was going to get my master's in communications, and I was going to read the news. Yeah, that's I was right. going to be I Ron Burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I was going to be a news anchor. That's, that was my next thing. I was like, music is just too, it's too hard. And I'm never going to get to where I want to be. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to read the news. You know, I I can do that. And so I actually applied and got accepted into the master's program at um, Northeast uh, Louisiana University. And so I decided to do that. And that's what I was going to do. Anyway, Sherry Skyro, who was my director of theater at Tech, she took me to lunch and she sat me down and she said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? You know, we're eating. And she said, no, what are you doing with your life? Like, why? I heard that you're going to go get your master's in communications. Why are you doing that? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, what else am I going to do? Yeah. You know, and she was like, you need to really think about it. Like, ask yourself why. And I said, I think because I'm scared and because it's safe. Mm -hmm. And that's why. Did you say that? Yeah. Did you? I said, it's safe. It's a job. There's some job security there, you know, or. You know, I'll get a, you know, I'll have a salary, you know, and benefits and all of this stuff. And she was like, well, you're a prostitute. And I was like, excuse me? And me being Mr., you know, straight and narrow, you know, Christian, you know, Christianese boy, to have someone call me a prostitute, I was like. You're like, look, I was on the cheer squad, but come on. Come on. I was like, what do you, I'm not a prostitute. She was like, yeah, you are. Her. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she was like, well, she was like, you're basically telling me that you're going to go to school and get a degree and do a job just for the money. And that's what prostitutes do. Yeah. She was like, ask any, any prostitute. They'll, they'll always say that they don't do it um, because they love it. Yeah. They do it for the money. She was like, so you're basically a prostitute. And I was like, well, when you put it like that, geez. So I literally walked out of that meeting with her at a Ryan's Steakhouse. <laughs> we walked out of Ryan's and I said, that's it. I'm moving to Nashville. Yeah. And I called Northeast and said, I'm not coming. Um, I gave my notice at the admissions office. And, um, and then I moved home to get ready and spent two weeks on my parents' couch in Louisiana. And then I moved to Nashville. And it's such a great word because like... People who go that route, like, I, I really feel like they seem to be really unhappy and sort of, like, um, ruled 
buy money and then yeah. the older you get the more you realize money really has no value whatsoever and so like to be able to follow your passion because the most successful people whether that just be being able to you know make a living doing it or whether it be financially or you know fame or whatever I mean like it seems like the happiest people are the people that like are tapping into what they yeah. feel like they're really created to do right. and love to do you know so that's huge like kind of a guardian angel that kind of stepped into your I life I think so she's always been that way yeah that's huge. Now, Nashville. So, did you meet? Were you married in college? No. Okay. I was not. When did you meet Jen? So, Jennifer and I met our sophomore year doing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. She was, I always say, she was one of my concubines. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she had a couple different roles in that show, and one of them was dancing in a cage. So, <laughs> she was my cage dancer. I'm going to leave all the comments off. I'm going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but we met in college. We were best friends for a year. Yeah. Um, and so after that, we started dating, and we dated for a year. Mm-hmm. And then midway of our senior year, we broke up because it literally was at the point where it was like, we either need to get married or we need to break up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just our our love affair. That sounds so weird to say. It was intense, though. Yeah. And, like, honestly, I wanted to have sex with her. Yeah. I did. I mean, that's just the plain truth of it. Like, I loved her, yeah. and I wanted to be with her in every sense of the word, and we couldn't. Mm. And I, I wasn't getting married, right? Because just I too early. Because I was gonna, I was gonna tour. Yeah. Like, I wanted to like go accomplish all these things, and then get married. Um, I didn't want to get married and try to accomplish those things. I just felt like it was going to be too difficult. Right. And we literally like, we just decided this is what we need to do. We need to take a break. Right. So we broke up. She, uh, we graduated. We were still friends. It was weird for a bit, you know, of course, but we were still friends. She moved to California, um, to work for the Continental Singers, uh, in their office recruiting. And then she did choreography for them, mm-hmm. um, cause she's a dancer, a great cage dancer. <laughs> <laughs> she did choreography for them. Anyway, she moved to California. Um, I went on the road with Living Word, mm-hmm. and we would talk once a month, um, you know, just to keep in touch with each other. But when I moved to Nashville, Jennifer lived here. She had just moved here like maybe six months, nine months before I did. So I literally only knew her, and I knew my roommate, right. um, and that was it. Yeah. And so we reconnected when I moved to town, um, and then, gosh, I don't know how long it was. I moved to town... I want to say it was 97 or 98, and we got married in 2000. And that was how many years after college? And that was... How long were you with Living Word? I was with Living Word nine months. So... It's about a year, maybe? It was between between when I finished college and I got married was four years. Mm-hmm. So in that, in that time, I'd gone on the road with Living Word, spent time at Tech, moved to Nashville, rekindled stuff with Jennifer, and just realized that, you know the perfect picture of what I think my life is going to look like, you know, it may not look like that. Right. And I need to like, I need to marry this girl mm-hmm. <laughs> before someone else gets her. Yeah. Uh, How'd you know so, she was the one? I knew she was the one all along. Mm-hmm. I knew she was the one in college. Yeah. Um, gosh, I remember telling a did friend God of ours. Did speak to you again? He basically mm-hmm. did. He's, and I when mean, you say that, it's kind of more like a tug of the heart. Yeah, it's Holy Spirit. Kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so like strong, it's so strong and it's almost like it's audible. Mm-hmm. Like there is no questioning in it. You know, there's times in your life where you go, gosh, was that God? Was that you? Or was that me? Or was it, there is no question. No, it was him. Uh, and I had a moment like that, uh, as I was talking about her 
to a friend, we were going to lunch on campus. And she she may have even asked a question, could you see yourself marrying her? And I said, absolutely. Yeah. And it was in that moment, it was like, boom, boom. Yeah, she's it. Like, and I always knew it, but I fought it because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to give her a good life. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to do that. Right. Music is just so, you know, so hard. Were you, what were you doing at that time when you guys were dating slash deciding to get married? Like, Okay, so I was here in Nashville. I moved to Nashville. I started working uh, at Harold's, which was a clothing store okay. in the Green Hills Mall. Yeah. Uh, which my kids the other day, I told them that, and they laughed their head off. I was like, "Don't knock working at the mall." You're like, "Go to your room." Like the mall is awesome, mm-hmm. uh, and I did. I had a great job. Um, you know, it paid well. Like, and that's in like '98, and mm-hmm. it was paying ten bucks an hour plus commission, so it was a decent job. You know, and then I worked for uh, Jim Gray, who is a orchestrator and arranger. Mm-hmm. And I basically was his production assistant. And that's how I got into the studio scene in Nashville. Like, I was, I basically booked studios and I booked players. So, me and. How did you meet him? I met him at church, okay. at the People's Church. Yeah. My first Sunday in, um, <clears throat> in Nashville, I was invited to go to the People's Church and I went and fell in love with it. Yeah. And it was, it's been my church for 17 years. Yeah, yeah. 18 years I didn't now. I realize it had been that long. So, but that's how I met Jim. He was on staff at People's Church, um, directing the orchestra and so and arranging for the church. Mm-hmm. And so I basically booked all of his sessions. Yeah. He did a lot of choral print work and stuff. And so I hired all the studio musicians, the Nashville string machine, like Carl Gordet Gordetsky and his wife. Like yeah. I was on a first name basis with them. So that's kinda how you got to know everybody. So that's kinda how I got to know all, like mainly like studio like players. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not singers. Right. That was a whole different side. Was that hard? Because you weren't doing the singing at that point, right? Right. And and so you're working at Harold's. So I worked at Harold's part-time, yeah. and I worked for him part-time, trying to make full-time out of both, yeah. you know. But it was hard. And you guys were, were you guys married yet? We were not married. Okay. Okay. So, no. like, when, okay, I'm trying, like, trying to keep, uh, keep the timeline. So, like, you guys... How long? You know you need to marry Jen. You're dating. How um, how long before like the big moment for you as a vocalist? And like, was that before you guys got married or, or after? It was after. Okay. Okay. So I had gotten into a co- <clears throat> so like studio singing through Jim. Mm-hmm. Like he had heard me sing. I I'm not one, and you know this about me. I'm not one to push myself on people. Right. Um. I'm not one that's going to just tell you that I'm a singer and you need to listen to me, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and so working for Jim, him just asking questions about me, you know, what'd you study in school? Well, I studied vocal performance. Oh, so you're a singer. Sing for me. You know, and he basically, uh, with the People's Church, we made a record to go on a mission trip uh, to China, Mm -hmm. um, which was really cool. We almost got arrested. It was awesome. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, so that's kind of like through Jim... Him hiring me to do some things, introducing me to people. Um, I started to do some choral work um, as well, singing on some of these choral projects. Right. And um, and that's kind of how I got, you know, I guess, discovered in right. Nashville 
singing at church. People's Church was a big church, and there were a lot of uh, producers in the church or writers in the church who needed singers to sing demos and things like that. So that's kind of how I started like getting studio work. And then Jennifer and I, when I decided, I was like, look, this is, this is not, this isn't going to happen for me like I wanted to. And I was kind of leading Jennifer on, I think, you know, up for a while, making her think that we were moving toward marriage. And every time we would move toward marriage, I would like get get like real antsy and unsure and be like, Oh gosh, I just don't know, yeah. you know, because I knew that I probably wasn't gonna be able to give her what I what I thought she deserved. Right. And um from a like from provision a provision kind of, standpoint. Yeah. yeah. And so mm-hmm. I was like, man, I just you know, and I would back off and then she'd be like, Why are you being so weird? Why are you backing off? you know? She knew I was scared. But then so we had this kind of fight at her apartment uh about it. And she was, of course, in tears, and I left. And it was one of those moments. I shut the door to her apartment. I was walking down the stairs, and... Stupid, um, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, because we had bought, like... This is what really sent it over the edge. We had bought a headboard for our bed. I found this, like, headboard at Pier 1 that I thought was, like, awesome. And it was on, like, super clearance, and it was on sale. And I couldn't pass it up. But I, But I couldn't legitimately buy it. Because it was a queen size like headboard, you know, and I didn't, I was like, I'm not going to buy this for myself. I, so to justify buying it, I basically was like, okay, well, I'll go ahead and buy this because this will be like what we use for our bed when we're married. Some someday. people give girls rings. You some, can... <laughs> some give them a headboard. So I basically bought that. And then after buying it, the whole like the reality of what I just bought yeah. was like, Oh crap. Implies so much. This implies that we are getting married and yeah. it's gonna be soon and blah blah blah. So I started backtracking a little bit, which upset her, of course. Um and she, you know, we fought, she bought. And I walked out of her apartment and God was like, Jason, marry the girl. Quit wasting your time. Like yeah. this is it. And you know it's it. So just, you know, trust me. Be confident. Yeah. Do it. And so I didn't tell her that. Um I, I kept you know, making her think that, you know, I was unsure when all the while, like for months, I was sure. Yeah. Like when I went on my trip to China uh, with the church, I mailed a picture to my jeweler uh, back in Louisiana to make a ring. Like I had chosen the ring, but I wanted certain things. Anyway, I mailed him a picture and all these instructions of what I wanted him to do and make the ring and stuff. And I mailed it from the airport, getting on a plane to China. And she's, she's all concerned that I'm going to come back from China and be like, we're done. Yeah. You know, so I came back from China and proposed, Ta-da. basically. Okay, so you proposed. So I proposed. We got married in April of 09, of 09 whatever. April of 2000. We got April 29th, <laughs> 2000. Uh, we got married. Uh, three, four months later, uh, I signed my first record deal yeah. with True Vibe. How, like, okay, so... How did how did that happen? Like so, it was another one of those things of I, Jennifer and I were married. I was working a job that I did not like. I hated right. it, and I was awful at it. It was like some sort of like telephone sales. Um, okay, so now you're not at Harold's anymore. I'm not at Harold's anymore. Oh, I probably was still at Harold's part time. Okay, Harold's was a hard habit to break. Yeah. Like I love the people you got, there. You got a discount on clothes. I got a discount on clothes. I love the people there, and they paid me well. So like. I was always kind of on their schedule. If they needed me, they called me. But I was working this other job, you know, trying to, you know, make a legitimate income. 
which I was awful at, and I sucked at it. Like, it was terrible. Right. And I got a call from one of my mentors, and he basically was like, uh, you know, Jason, what are you, what are you doing with your life? You know, and I told him that I was doing studio work, and but I had this other, like, sales job I was trying to do, and then I had Harold's probably, and he was like, when are you going to give up this singing stuff, you know? And I was like, what? what? You know, and he basically really discouraged me. I got off the phone, and I probably cried a little bit because, yeah. you know, I, I shed tears easily. And um, I cried a little bit, and I remember basically laying out a a fleece, so to speak. Yeah. That's just a term, you know, people use, but uh, from the Bible, of course. But um, I laid out this fleece, and I was just like, God, I feel like I'm crazy. It's kind of like a dare to God. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I literally remember saying, I have held on to that thing you told me when I was in the fifth grade. Mm. It has, you know, shaped my life. I was like, but I am here. And and I had had a bunch of doors closed in my face. Mm. Like uh, Norman Miller, who was just a great man, um, who's uh, passed away. He was huge in Christian music, um, had a ton of great groups, Avalon, mm-hmm. you know, you name it, he cre- you know, basically helped create and manage. And Norman had talked to me about uh, being in a group that eventually became Zoe Girl. Um, so, like, <laughs> you know, they just, he was like, we decided not to do guys. We're only going to do girls. And so, like, I, you know, I was out of Zoe Girl at that point. Um but then I'd had an opportunity in Los Angeles uh, with some friends, and we'd flown out there, and we were, thought we were going to be these huge pop stars, and that didn't work out. So I'd had all these things, like, close in my face. Right. And then I get the call from this guy uh, who's basically like, you need to quit this mm. and get a job. You're married. Yeah. You know, like, it's time to hang it up. And so I got off the phone with him, and I just said, God, I feel like I'm insane I feel like I'm crazy. Like, you've given me this gift. You've given me these desires. You've told me this is what I was supposed to do. And yet everything just shuts in my face. Mm. And I have no money. I have a wife that I can't support. I'm in a job that I absolutely hate. And um, so I need you to come through. And I said, you know, I'm not saying it has to be um, today, you know, uh, but I need something like ASAP, like, you know, not two weeks from now, not a month from now, just something. Yeah. Like, give me something. Uh, and literally 45 minutes later, I got a call from my friend Terry White, who's a great singer. Yeah. And Terry's like, Jason, I was working out at the Y with this guy that um, he's starting this guy's group. And he was like, it's kind of like a boy band, you know, they, they'll sing and dance. He was like, and... He was like, I don't want to do it. He was like, but I, I think you're perfect for it. Would you want to do it? And I said, sure, you know, give me my number. And that next week I went to an audition and made the group. And then two weeks later I signed a record deal. Now and forever, promise I will always love you All my life. One thing I know for sure, we'll be together every day. I love you Before that happened, was that were you when you hung up the phone? Were you ready to give up? I wasn't ready to give up, okay. but I was just upset. Yeah, I was more upset that someone who I thought would never discourage me from music had discouraged me. 
I was like, gosh, this is, it must be really bad. Right. Like, you know, like, I, I did consider, I probably considered it mm-hmm. because I respected him. Yeah. Um, but in my heart, there was no giving up. Right. So Terry calls. Next week you audition. Two weeks later you sign a record. I want to say it was like two weeks. We signed a record. It's like super fast. It was super fast. Because 33 miles was fast. Yeah. But that's way fast. It was faster. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, that was, we signed, I want to say we signed, and then we immediately went into making the record. And then that fall, uh, we toured, we went on our first tour with Destiny's Child, which was just nuts. That's your first tour. Is that what you said? Wait, I said fall. That was my first tour to go on. My very first tour to go on. I had signed a record deal like September-ish, I want to say. Then we started making the record um, through the fall and into the winter. And then I want to say in this, it was in the spring we toured with Destiny's Child. Right. Because it was right before they did TRL Summer Tour. Um, So, yeah, it was in the spring. So is that because... Was there some pretty hefty industry people already involved in True Vibe before you got involved? Not really. That was kind of an accident, I think. I mean, we were represented by CAA, which is one of the largest uh, agencies. And so Jonathan, who was the founding member of uh, True Vibe, Jonathan is incredible. He's an incredible salesman. Right. I mean, the guy can sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. He's that good. Like (laughs) he can get you in any door. If that door is locked and bolted and nailed shut, he will find a way to get it open. Right. And so he basically was going in for a meeting with John Huey at CAA, which was our agent and destiny's child. Like whoever was putting the tour together or whatever was having a meeting with him at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he walked out and introduced Jonathan to him and Jonathan was like, we'd be perfect for your tour. Mm-hmm. And that's how that happened. That's crazy. So I think it was kind of accidental. So, I mean, like when did you, were you so hungry to do something that it felt special or did you, was there a moment when you kind of like, was like, this is a really special moment, like musically, this group and everything. This is, just so right you know what I mean I don't think so there was never a moment like that I don't think I ever felt a moment of like this is so right other than I had serious reservations about doing True Vibe Mm -hmm. why um I think because I didn't know any of the guys Mm. I was like I'm signing my life away to this record company and to these guys that I don't know I don't know anything about them I mean and that's kind of like I mean to stop real quick like people don't realize like I mean, like, when you sign a deal with a record label, record labels have not, you know, necessarily, like, historically been evil or anything like that. You know, it's just the game has changed so much now that it's hard, like, for labels to figure out how to make money. But when you do sign a record label, you're saying to this company, yes, you'll you'll invest X amount of dollars into me being a musician, and then we have to work our butts off to pay you back. Right. And then make a profit and all that stuff. I mean, so it is going to sign your life away. And you own my name and likeness. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I can't go, I can't go put my name on anything else yeah. or my face on anything else Yeah. without your approval, without you getting money from it. Right. You know, I mean, that is a record deal. It yeah. Is, you're, you're giving up all the to yourself. In, yeah. You know? And so there was that. And then Jonathan had had a couple of guys before us, uh, that did not work out. Mm-hmm. One of whom I knew, and just some of the things that he had told me just were kind of red flags. Mm-hmm. But Jennifer and I had prayed about it, and we felt like this was something that we needed to do yeah. uh, regardless. And so, you know, we were like, it's not perfect, 
Um, but is anything ever perfect, you know? Yeah. So we felt like we, we should move into it. Was the whole thing a whirlwind where you like, yes. because that was really fast and then it just, it was super fast. It was taken off. It was taken off, man. We immediately like were in the studio and we were in photo shoots and all of this crazy stuff. And it just, it was so new and exciting. And we were doing like when the record came out and with the destiny's child tour, we were doing like crazy things like movie premieres, like we did a song for the NSYNC movie, Lance Bass and Joey did a movie and we did the title track for it. And so like they ended up bringing in Mandy Moore and like BB Mac and all these other like pop stars to be on the song. And so we did like, we shot a video with MTV and did a whole making of the video. And so we were like going to movie premieres and like all this crazy stuff and stuff I'd always dreamed about doing, yeah. uh, which was just, it was incredible. Um, but at the same time, you know, True Vibe was falling apart, you know, because we we just, I don't know, we just could not get on the same page. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard. I mean, I mean, like, essentially all businesses are like this, but because, like, when you're in a group, it's so, like, you're so living with each other, and then you put four guys together, like, it was four, right? It was True four Vibe. of us, yeah. You put four guys who don't know each other, you know? Like and to tell them to live together twenty four seven, like that's tough. I mean, right. like, that's it's just it's not that anybody's a bad guy. It's just that's just hard. Well, there was just there was a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. in True Vibe. I mean, you know, we were we were on the road a lot. Um, we two of us were married, two of us were not. Mm-hmm. So that was always interesting. Yeah. Um, the age difference in in of us in us were you know there was a good like seven eight you know, years between some of us. So, I mean, it was just, it always presented an interesting dynamic. Um, So you never felt like, woohoo, like this is... I never felt like this was like it. It was work. It It was work. work. Yeah. It felt like work. I loved it. Which is fine. I loved it. We did some amazing things and things that I'd always dreamt of doing. So in that aspect, it was great. I think that's the disconnect for people. Yeah. Like uh, people from the outside looking in is it? They see the pictures and they hear the music and it's all suit like this is great, this is success all stuff, but they don't realize like the internal conflict of business and the relationships and the travel and being gone all the time and trying to make right. profit and all like behind the scenes to do that is yeah very taxing and well hard. and we were set up True Vibe was set up horribly mm-hmm. in my opinion mm-hmm. um, you know Jonathan if you listen to this I love you but it was just set up horrible like. Mm-hmm. Jonathan owned 51% of the group and 49% of it was left to me, Jordan and Nathan. And so when you split that up, you know, we weren't making anything. Yeah. And when there was any sort of decision to be made, no matter what the three of us decided, he always could overrule us because he owned 51% of the company. Mm -hmm. So this whole like, you know, I'm going to give you ownership was great. You know, like, but I went into True Vibe. That was my biggest, my biggest thing. Yeah. I went into True Vibe hesitant because of that. Yeah. Um, talking it out helped me remember that. But uh, I remember going to our attorney's office and the attorney saying, Jason, this is going to change. Mm-hmm. This is only because, you know, he founded the group. He secured the record deal. He did all of this work. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not unreasonable. I was like, of course, yeah, he should get something for right. that. He did all this legwork, but somewhere down the road, this has to change. I mean, I'm, 
I'm singing the lead vocal on every song. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm carrying the show, you know, along with Nathan as far as, like, the the leads. You're an important part. So it's like, you know, I, I don't want it to stay at this. I can't stay at this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he assured me that it would change. Yeah. And it never changed. And, and, and <laughs> I mean, like... The lesson learned is when you're going, especially you know, like I remember, like the 33 going. When you go into an attorney's office, it's like all of a sudden you're going, "Oh, this is real." It's for real. And so, like everything yeah. needs to be on paper. You know what I mean? Right. Like, everything. Get it in writing. Yeah. That's one of the biggest lessons I learned early on. Oh my gosh. Like Christian brothers or Christian brothers who like, and that was what we used to say. Like, we're Christian brothers, but I'm gonna need you to sign this so we can <laughs> stay Christian brothers, because, I mean. Money changes things and people yeah. change and you just, you have to get it in writing. Yeah. You do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Okay. So kind of getting out of that world, like there was this weird stigma about boy bands, you know, like, was it difficult? Were you guys just so busy to even, it didn't even matter. You know what I mean? Like, cause it's sort of like the boy band was sort of like, has always been sort of the weird right. sort of, I mean, there's a love hate. Cheesy kind of thing. Yeah. But like, but you guys were so, you guys were pretty busy, but I do remember a video is it Seattle? Seattle, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like... Oh, my gosh. Seattle, they had this huge radio show in Seattle. There were thousands of people there. It was an outdoor event. This, the Supertones were the headliner, and they had brought us into play. And, man, we rolled up to the stage. They put us in a limo, of all things, mm-hmm. which I hated. But the limo company had sponsored the event, and so they're trying to promote their business. So we had to ride in this limo, so we just felt like the biggest idiot. And the Supertones were like a, a big rock ska band. Kind right. Of thing. The Supertones, and they were huge out west. Yeah. On the west coast, they were really big. Because um, they were the OC Supertones. Yeah. Know, they were Orange County. So anyway, we roll up, and we had, we had a number one hit on the radio. Like, so it wasn't like people didn't know our music and wasn't, wasn't excited. So basically, we rolled into the set, and we had pyro and all this kind of crazy stuff. So they're screaming. They're all excited. The crowd's pumped for us after one song, maybe a little after the second song. And by the third song, they were done with us. Like, they wanted us off the stage. And I remember trying to do choreography, like dancing and dodging full water bottles being thrown at us. Like, full bottles of water, like, chunked at the stage yelling for us to get off. Oh, my gosh. Um, so the people who were there to see True Vibe were excited, but majority of that crowd was the Supertones crowd, and they were done with us. Oh, my gosh. Get these little teeny bopper kids off the stage. You know, we are done with them. So it was, I mean, it was freaky. Oh, my gosh. I mean, but, like, NSYNC and Backstreet, even, I guess, 98 Degrees, like, those groups around that time had kind of made boy bands cool again. So, like, was that, like... Um, you guys didn't get a dog much in No, that's the neighbor's dog. <laughs> did you did you ever think I really want to do that? I think I could see myself doing that. Yeah. Did you really Man, I I think we all secretly think I'm that. a pop well, I've never, you know, I've never tried to hide the fact that I love pop music. Mm-hmm. I just have. I yeah. always have. That is I it's who I am, man. I love top forty. I grew up listening to top forty. So, um and it's funny, like even my boys, um, now. Like, I, you know, there's a piece of me that wants them to have this really cool, like, appreciation for, like, vibe, you know, music, you know, like, but, and I think that they do, but more than anything, they just love pop. Yeah. So, uh, which is just funny to me. But yeah, like, I never was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I think 
what started it for me my sister was a huge New Kids on the Block fan. Um, still is. And it still is. <laughs> and I hated them. Yeah. And the reason I hated them because I knew I was better than them. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I was like, I can sing better than that guy. I was like, sorry, Joey, if you're listening. You know. <laughs> no, like they were great. Yeah. But like there was a couple of guys in the band. You know, Jordan could sing. You know, Joey could sing. There was a couple of them that weren't too weren't that good. And I was like, dang gum it. Yeah. Like, they are like, you know, selling out, you know, coliseums and, you know, theaters and malls and, you know, my sister sleeping on their sheets. And that could be me. <laughs> you know? But I'm stuck in Gilbert oh <laughs> in this gosh. tiny town. I'll never get to do that. You know? So like I I think that it was always jealousy for me with them. Like I just I wanted to do that. Yeah. I wanted to do what they were doing. That brings so up a good, when a good the whole question. like like were you did you ever struggle with the big fish thing? Like when you left Gilbert, you were kind of a big fish in Gilbert. I was a big fish. When you walked away from Gilbert, did and then going to Nashville, did you struggle with the reality of oh wait I'm really not no a big one fish knows in. who I am? Yeah. Absolutely, do. Yeah. And every person in this town is a singer. Yeah. Every person in this town, the people taking your order at the restaurant can sing. Yeah, and well. And well, and play an instrument, and they write music, and like every single person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I felt like all of a sudden I was like a, a minnow. Yeah. Okay, so you're in an in, ocean. <laughs> a big, big <laughs> ocean. So like you're you're in True Vibe, um, you're like in the throes of touring, recording, you're busy. So like the Grammys, you guys are nominated for a Grammy. Was that exciting for you guys? Was that sort of like a, oh, oh wow. Or, or were you so busy that you didn't even notice? No, we were not busy. Yeah. And the reason we were not busy is because we were done. Really? Yeah. Okay. We broke up. Okay, True Vibe broke up in the fall of 03, I think. How long were you guys together? Three, three years. Three years. I want to say we broke up in the fall of 03. I'm not positive on that. But we, um, <clears throat> that was in like a November Jordan left in October. Nathan and I left in November. Mm-hmm. And then the Grammy nominations came out uh, January. Surprise. Or February. I don't remember when it was, but I want to say it was like January. Um, yeah, I remember the day it happened. Um, I was at a mentoring group at Meredith's in downtown Franklin. And I got a phone call um, saying that we had been nominated for... Um, and you're probably frustrated, too. Oh, dude. you left. I am, I'm miserable. Yeah. I don't know what. Because it's like, what am I going to do? Well, it's like this thing I've dreamt of my whole life just did not work and yeah. it's falling apart. And, um, and I was a wreck. Mm. I literally was a wreck, uh, from it all. And so I was at mentoring group, you know, with other musicians and other people and trying to like learn from them and, you know, uh, find some support, you know? And, um, so I, I get this call and I stepped outside of Meredith's and um, I want to say it was Nathan. I'm not sure who called me, but they told me that we were nominated for best pop, you know, contemporary Christian album of the year. And um, and I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, we're, we're nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> I was like, you're kidding me. So like, I went like, man, I was like a rocket taking off. Like, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is incredible. But we weren't even a group. Yeah. Like, the record had come out, and then we were nominated for that record, which I'm really proud of that record. I listened to that record today. Um, it's called See the Light. I listened to that record today, and I, and I think it's um, uh, relevant. Yeah. I think it's relevant today, if you put it in. But um, it was a great record. Yeah. And so 
we were nominated for that record, and we went to the Grammys broken up. Who, like, I mean, that, I, I was just thinking about, like, who paid for the trip? Like, knowing that... The record company paid for the trip. Even though you were broken up, they still... Even though we were broken up. Okay. They paid for the trip. Wow. And we went. Yeah. Um, do you remember, like, who you were up against? We were... The only people I remember we were up against is the people that won, and it was Jars of Clay. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, that was... Which, they were, you know, huge from Flood. Yeah. Flood was all over pop radio. Yeah. Um, maybe not at that time, but they had made a name for themselves. And for right. Grammy voters, you know, who don't pay attention to Christian music, they see Jars of Clay in the category. And yeah. Of course, they're... And they deserved it. I think they won for uh, If I Left the Zoo, which was an amazing record. Yeah. So I'm not saying it was undeserving, but so were they definitely were more popular. Yeah. Were you disappointed? No. Not, not no. We knew we weren't going to win. <laughs> You're like, it was like, we're broken up. Well, what was really funny is like when you go to the Grammys, like for those of you who may not know, the Grammys are, uh, you know, there's a televised part of the Grammys, but then there's all these other awards that they don't put on television, mm-hmm. like Christian Awards. And you have to go to the like pre-show where they uh, give all those out. And so uh, in the pre-show, there's a lot of categories that people wouldn't maybe not know any of the artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were noticing a trend. Like uh, the last person in every category was winning. Yeah. Um, so we were just thinking of it in terms of a ballot. So like if all the names are listed, if it's, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know, Jars of Clay, um, Third Day, Nicole Nordman... True vibe, last on the list. Well, we were last. Like we were the number five in all these other random categories. You know, you know, best oboe record of the year. Whatever it is, the fifth person is winning. (laughs) The fifth person is winning every time because we're like people are going down the list, going, I don't know them, don't know them, don't know them, don't know them, don't know them. But hey, last one, I'm gonna check it. So they're voting for the last one. We were like, we're we're totally got a shot. Look, we have a shot to win this. We know we're up against jars of clay, but I mean, people may not—they may not know who they are—and they're going to vote for the last one on the ballot. It's, it, we may win. Oh my god, dude, we totally didn't win, but we laughed our heads off. Like we were sitting there, like laughing. When they called our category and they called our name last. We were like, "There's a there's a chance." Was it hard to go together? Uh, yes. Was it? It was hard. Not for um, we were always separate from Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Jonathan and I are friends now. So yeah. this. It's kind of strange when I talk about No, but we'll uh, get to that. Talk about that. But um, so, yeah, Jordan and Nathan and I were, have always been close and still are. And so uh, that was easy for us. Um, but, yeah, we were sitting with Jonathan. Mm-hmm. So it, it was bittersweet, you know. You got, you got this huge, you know. I mean, we had sold. This is back when people sold records. We had sold a ton of records, mm-hmm. like over 500,000 records. Uh, and so... You know, we had something that was great, and it yeah. could have been incredible. And we're nominated for a Grammy. We're sitting at the Grammys, and we're not a band. Yeah, whether you win or lose, to be noticed in the Academy is like super it's huge. huge. Yeah, like even today, like I don't pay my dues or whatever, but I, because I'm nominated, um, you know, I could just call Naris and say, "Hey, I want to pay my dues," and you know, vote for the Grammys, and I get my Grammy ballot in the mail. Interesting. You know, so like it's it was a huge honor. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't really know, like, I want to say that um, we had to meet certain requirements uh, vocal-wise to be considered in that category, and I don't know if it was a certain number of minutes of vocals, I don't remember what it was, yeah. but um, but yeah, 
once we had like I think that narrowed down the field. Right. Um, you had to meet certain requirements for it. So was there any after parties? For so you maybe guys? only five people met the requirements. <laughs> <laughs> there were awesome after parties. Okay. We went to the BMG Sony party afterwards, and it was incredible. Yeah. I met Jimmy Fallon, uh, Usher, uh, Chili from TLC. Uh, we tried to get into the room where Britney Spears was, but um, I think Jennifer may have gotten in there. Uh, I didn't get in there. Yeah. Uh, but we, yeah, we met incredible people. Simon and Garfunkel. Oh my gosh. Um, That's uh, huge. Just insane. Yeah. We were like, you know, just hanging out with these people, yeah. which was crazy. Movie stars. There were. Uh, I don't. Rem- I know that uh, Kim Cattrall was there. Yeah. Uh, who. I mean, she was on... I don't know what at that time what she was on, but, I mean, she was a movie star. Okay, so, you know, we're going to get we're gonna get to that, because that's kind of the end. Like, at Grammy... That night, was the end of True Vibe. But, but before we move on, um, you were on tour with Destiny's Child. I don't want to, like, overlook that little fact. Um, you do need to tell everybody about um, Beyonce skating in your butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a nice bum... <laughs> And Beyonce took notice. No, okay, so on that tour, it was, that tour was a two-week tour. It this may be the greatest moment in your life. It, <laughs> it does rank really high. Okay, so on the tour, the, the tour was only two, two weeks. So when I say that we toured, it wasn't like for months. We were on okay. like a two-week tour of like B and C markets, yeah. which means smaller cities. So we were like Peoria, Illinois, yeah. or Springfield, Missouri, or someplace like that. But there were thousands of people showing up, like literally uh, one night. Uh, I mean, we weren't seeing less than 10,000 people a night. Mm-hmm. Uh, one night it was like 18,000 people. It was like crazy because they were blowing up. Like yeah. Survivor had just come out. Yeah. Um, so they were huge. So they would do really fun stuff uh, on the tour. They, like one night they would rent out um, you know, a bowling alley and everybody would go bowling. The whole tour, the crew, the artists, everybody. So for Kelly's birthday, they rented out a roller skating rink, and we all went roller skating afterwards. And so me and Jonathan and Jordan and Nathan were out roller skating, being stupid, trying to be like we were when we were kids, you know, and where you skate between each other's legs. Um, you squat really low, you know, and you basically someone skates ahead, spreads their legs, and you come zooming through their legs or whatever. So Beyonce saw us doing that, and she rolled out, and she was like, I want to try it. I want to do that. And I said, okay, well, I'll skate up, you know. Um, you know, I'll try to get my legs as wide as possible for you to get through <laughs> to create a space for you. And then, uh, you just come on when you're ready. So I skated ahead, you know, I did the whole V, you know, V with my legs, spread my legs and I gave her the thumbs up and I was like, come on. So she came skating and she, you know, she squatted down as low as she could. And it's not, I mean, we're about the same height, you know, so it's <laughs> It wasn't going to work. I love that this story is like, <laughs> let me break down every little detail. I had brown skates with orange rollers on. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, she's getting up and she's getting scared. It's the closer she gets, she starts to freak out. So, she realizes there's no way she's making it through my legs. And so, she reaches up and she basically just grabs my butt, like, to stop herself. <laughs> so, when she does, when she does that, her feet continue to go through my legs so she falls on the ground and because she fell then I'm wrapped up and I fell and we were both just like rolling on the uh, roller skate floor there and laughing our heads off but that's like my claim to fame like Beyonce touched my butt there it is 
There it is. And that's going to be the quote for uh, for the podcast. Beyonce. <laughs> Jason Barton. Beyonce touched my butt. It's one of those things, like, <laughs> it literally, like, in Nashville, from some of my friends, like, that I've written with over the years, it, it literally is their favorite story. Like, who can say that Beyonce touched their butt, you know? Like, <laughs> that is just not, <laughs> it's not something that just happens to everybody. So, yeah, as far as, like, moments in my life, it definitely was... Uh, it was a highlight. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so True Vibe is done Grammy night. I mean, that's it. I mean, yeah, we it's were. It's kind done. of a great celebration of It was, was a great celebration. Hey, we were nominated for this. We didn't win, but it was fun. Okay, we're done. Okay, so you and it was Jonathan, right? Me and Jonathan. There was there's there's been some rec- reconciliation since then. Yes. But it was there was I mean, there was some real hurt. Like Dude, I, mean, I was, struggled with it for a long time. I was upset. Okay. Big time. Tell me tell me about that. Well, I think that um, I felt like there were a lot of people who had hurt me in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan wasn't the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like, I had some hurt from management. Uh, I'd hurt from some of my uh, people at the record company. So I don't want to like shove it all onto him. But I did feel like because he started it and set it up this way, mm-hmm. it was kind of destined to fail. Yeah. Um, so I probably shifted a lot of it towards him mm-hmm. because of that. Um, and he, yeah, man, I was just so hurt that I felt like I'd been tricked. I felt like I'd been lied to because the whole percentages never changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like, you know, he wasn't basically taking care of us, you know. Um, I, I was singing my rear end off. I was doing everything I was being asked to do. Yeah. And I was seeing nothing for it. Yeah. And um, it's gotta be frustrating because you're looking at three years of you know, of like good success musically. Yeah. And going, you know, if this were, you know, all going, if it would health, if it was healthy, and all. You this know, could have been great. Forms, it could have gone on. Yeah. To be even bigger than what it was. I mean, dare <laughs> I say we could have been the next for him. <laughs> or in sync. <laughs> or in sync. No. <laughs> You could be singing suit and tie today. Hey. <laughs> I mean, so like, like, I mean, like, when did you come to terms with like finally having to forgive? Like, and what kind of, what kind of made that happen? Because it was in, I mean, you dealt with it when we were in 33 Miles, the frustration right. of that. Like when, what was sort of the moment of like, you know, I gotta, I gotta stop. I don't remember like time wise when that moment happened. I think I blocked a lot of a lot of it out. Mm. I think it was so traumatic for me that there are a lot of the really bad moments that I don't remember. Right. Um, but I remember Jennifer saying to me one time um, that forgiveness was not forgiveness was not for Jonathan. Because mm. we were talking about it and she was like, Jason, she was like, you've got to forgive him for you. And I was like, what do you mean by that? Like, I was like, I don't understand that. She was like, well, forgiveness isn't for him. Mm -hmm. She was like, you need to forgive him for your own heart. You can't hold on to that anger and that hurt any longer. She was like, I mean, look at, she was like, you're miserable. She was like, I mean, she was like, forgive him, you know? She was like, it doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with him. And I I always guess I thought that that's what it meant, like, when I forgave somebody that it just meant that it never happened and we're going to pretend like nothing ever happened and, um, you know, and life can go back. Here comes the train. <laughs> no, it's not. 
I guess I thought that when, you know, I I did that, that life would just go back to how it was. Right. Um, and which was very immature of me, mm. you know, and it took my wife being like, you are a wreck. And if your heart is ever going to heal, you have to forgive him. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, I think we all have this, like, if I forgive one, it needs to be, it needs to go back to, like, day one. Right. Everything's perfect. Where it's, like, clean slate. And the thing is, like, our forgiveness is not like God's forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, like, it's one of those things of, you know, forgive and forget. And I'm not... I think that we are supposed to try to do that, but we're also human. Yeah. You know. And we can't forget. And we can't. We're not going to forget. And it's not to say that we're not ever going to get to a place where things are healthy and good again. Mm-hmm. And, but they're going to be different. Yeah. I mean, this has happened. Life has happened. And it cannot go back to the way it used to be. Right. But what if it could be better? Yeah. Because of the forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and that was the, the thing for me. It was like, oh, man, okay. That's something I can get on board with. Yeah. Like. So once it was like a light bulb, right. you know, that went off in my head. And once I actually, like, really, truly forgave him, I felt like a different person. Yeah. And even though you guys weren't even at the time having a relationship. We didn't have, no. He had moved to California. Yeah. I hadn't talked to him. But it was destroying I didn't know how to get in touch with him. Yeah. You know, I, um, and I felt bad. I felt awful that I couldn't talk to him about it, you know, because I didn't get to actually tell him. Mm-hmm. You know, Jonathan, I forgive you. I just had to forgive him in my heart because I didn't know how to get in touch with him. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like, and I'm one of those people, like, I like to talk things out. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do the whole, like, let's not pretend it didn't happen thing right. anymore. The older I got, the more I was like, I don't have time for that. Like, I want to talk this out. So, um, and I just couldn't. So it had to be good enough for that time just to be, like, in my heart. Yeah. yeah. Was there peace him. for you? There was peace. Yeah. Instant. Yeah. Yeah, because you had harbored that for a long time. A long and you're right, it's destroying you. It's not destroying him because he right. didn't even know what you're dealing with. Right. You know? And that's the thing. It was like, um, you know, it was destroying me. And when you hold on to stuff like that, it's like a cancer. And it was affecting my relationships with Jennifer, mm-hmm. my relationship with her, but my relationships with other people mm-hmm. um, and just how I treated them yeah. and how I viewed other people and how I viewed new relationships. It was like, oh, I'm not going to let this person into my life because maybe they're going to turn out like that and yeah, they're going to rip me off and they're going to, you know, they're they're not going to do what they say they're going to do. And it just affects everything. Yeah. So hard. I had to let go of it. On a lighter side, like like what what's your favorite moment of True Vibe? Oh, geez. My favorite moment of True Vibe had to be walking down the red carpet behind Gwen Stefani. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That would be pretty grand. Being on the red carpet at the Grammys was probably my favorite moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, probably surreal. It was just, it was weird uh, in the fact that Jonathan was there, but he wasn't with us. Like Mm -hmm. he and his wife had walked a little ahead, and then it was like the three of us, and um, and our wives and Jordan was so young, but he wasn't married. He brought his mom, which yeah. we loved her. And so it was like, this is our little family and we're yeah. here at the Grammys and there's Gwen Stefani. <laughs> like <laughs> it was just, you know, uh, that was probably one of my all time favorite moments. Yeah. All right. So now true vibes over. What happened? So true vibes over. I immediately roll into a deal with Provident with Nathan and Jordan because okay. we were going to try to keep the name True Vibe. Mm. 
didn't happen though because Jonathan owned fifty one percent of the right, team. Right. So it just it wasn't possible. They tried to find every way to do it because the three of us were going to continue to be True Vibe. So then when they realized that we were not going to be able to keep the name, they thought, well, we'll just try to do another group with these three guys, um, which didn't work out. Um, I love them. They're like my brothers, but it just didn't work. Like yeah. in my heart, I knew that it wasn't right. And so I walked into Robert Beeson's office, who was the president at Essential Records, and I said, hey, you know, I don't want to do a group anymore. I want to do um, a solo record. Mm. And he was like, I've been waiting to hear this. Yeah. He was like, you know, this is something uh, that we've been wanting to do, but we wanted you to to birth it, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I said, great, well, what do we do? You know, and he basically kept me in the deal that I was in because it, you know, term-wise, it wasn't up. Right. Um, so I didn't have to sign anything new, but we just started working towards a solo record. At least I did. While you're painting houses. Is that While right? I was painting houses, uh, what was I doing then? Sessions. Mm-hmm. I was still doing studio work, um, so I was doing that, but wasn't full time. Uh, and I was painting. Yeah, I loved paint houses back yeah. then. You're good at it. It was just something about like seeing like a room that was just needed, you know, something different. Yeah. Like it was instant gratification. That's what I always say about it, because you can walk in, you can throw paint on the walls, and it looks brand new and yeah. it's great. And it's not something that's like a process that like takes you know months to do. Yeah, it's like instant. Uh, which is something I loved. And I could make my own schedule, yeah. which was great. I mean, and plus you're a creative person, so it probably yeah, seems so kind of Yeah, so it just kind of helps a little bit of the creative. But yeah, so I started writing for a solo record and um, had written some great songs, uh, one of them with Bernie Herms, who I love, and uh, and it was like my song. Yeah. I was like, this is going to be it. Like, this is going to be the first single. It's going to be huge, you know, all this stuff. And the radio department at the label loved it and but felt like it was too honest mm. and um, like <laughs> it didn't have a happy ending. <laughs> uh, it was just kind of like, well, maybe it'll all work out. Yeah. Um, but it, I loved it. It was real and it was where I was at the time. And so uh, anyway, long story short on that, like that was over a course of a year of writing and just doing different things to try to move forward into a record and nothing was happening. Yeah. And so I kind of was like, I went in and talked to my A&R girl there at uh, Provident, and basically she just told me, she was like, look, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen with your record, because we've been courting Brian Luttrell from the Backstreet Boys to do a Christian record. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know for sure, but she was like, I feel like um, that if he signs, um, that your record isn't going to happen. Yeah. And I was like, well, I need to talk to Robert about that. So I went in to talk to Robert, and Robert basically told me that Brian's record had nothing to do with my record, and that if they signed him, it would be totally separate, totally different, uh, which wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, you know, and whether that was a lie or whether that was just what happened after the fact, you know, like that was beyond his control afterwards, I, I don't know. Right. He and I haven't sat down and talked about it. But his record happened therefore mine did not so at that point I didn't know what I was going to do I basically like I went on the road with Avalon to do some fill-in work uh, for them because Michael had left Avalon and I thought that I was going to join Avalon basically like Jody had told me like that Jana thinks that I was I was the one and you know that I was the one for him and 
Um, so it kind of looked like all of that was going to work out. And then I remember being on a flight sitting next to Jana and she was reading a book like called How to Determine the Sex of Your Child, <laughs> which was really strange to me. Um, so she was telling me about it. So I knew that she and Greg uh, were trying to have a baby. Who was also a singer. Who was Greg. also an amazing singer. Yeah. I love Greg. Um, and so I knew that they were trying to have a baby. And I knew that Greg had gone to fill in. But the, what I had been told was that Greg wanted to be Greg. Right. You know, he had a career in his own right. Um, solo career and so that he was not going to be joining Avalon but then um, when they got pregnant it was like you know it was like we want to be together as a family and travel as a family and I understood that yeah so I basically Avalon did not work out for me uh, which was one of my favorite groups I always loved them so to like be on stage even now like I love those memories of being on stage singing um, testify to love and completely screwing up the little spoken part at the end (laughs) you know that Michael always did like I remember being up in Michigan at some festival and singing that and I look back at like Melissa and Jody and Jana and was like I like it all just kind of turned to mumbo jumbo like (laughs) some sun star in every sky all of creation (laughs) something praise you know like I mean it was like it was really bad oh my gosh and then that's probably why I didn't get an Avalon (laughs) <laughs> and then so like Avalon didn't happen. Then you get did for him come soon after that. So yeah, so it was another one of those like moments for me. We had had mm-hmm. uh, during the season too. This is uh, important to share during that season of True Vibe, trying to figure all of this out. True Vibe production deal with the other three guys. Jacob's board. Um, well, we had lost two babies. Okay. Okay. In that, so like not only had my career tanked. Yeah. Um, and my dreams were squashed. Um, we had had two miscarriages. Mm. Um, one of which was at 12 weeks, um, we went in to hear the baby's heartbeat. We had already seen the heartbeat. So your percentage goes way down after mm-hmm. you've seen it. And then after you hear it, it goes down even more. So we were going in to hear the heartbeat and, um, there was no heartbeat. Mm. And not once had I considered that that was a possibility. Yeah. Like no one had sat me down and said, now look, you know, birth is a miracle. Yeah. And chances are, you know, one in five, you know, babies miscarry, you yeah. know, and or something like that. Maybe it's one in four. Yeah. Um, no one had told me that. And I had already planned this kid's future. I knew what color. I, I was a painter. Yeah. I knew what color I was going to paint the room. <laughs> you know, like I was there. We had named, you know, boy name, girl name, everything. Yeah. We were ready. And so like completely crushed yeah. both of us. Um, and then, uh, you know, I look at Jennifer and she gets pregnant. So we got pregnant pretty quick after that again. And, um, <laughs> pregnancy is not hard for us carrying the baby. That's a different <laughs> story. Um, but, uh, we lost another one and, um, and that one was pretty quick. Uh, and so it was just, man, career had tanked. Didn't know if we were ever going to be able to have kids. Mm. Um, Avalon didn't work out, and I really, man, my hopes were high for that. Right. Because I loved them. Um, I still do. And uh, I just did not know um, what we were going to do. So this was like a, you know, two, two and a half year period. Um, We ended up getting pregnant. We had our first baby, Jake. Um, And then I was at the park with Jake, still kind of in a dark place, hadn't forgiven Jonathan at Mm -hmm. this point. Holding on to a lot of anger, I was probably angry at God mm. that, you know, 
you know, he's not holding up his end of the bargain it's been in a my mind. Few years too. So yeah, I would say it was the darkest years of my life. Yeah. Um, I was just angry, mm. and I remember being at the park with Jake, Pinkerton Park on ninety six and Franklin, and I was, um, I was pushing him in a swing because I spent a lot of time Jennifer. Because I was doing studio work and painting, and I can make my schedule. Jennifer was working for an orthodontist, mm-hmm. so she had like a nine to five. Yeah. So I basically took care of Jake uh, a lot during the day, and so I had him at the park. I was being, you know, um, the stay at home dad, and I remember God telling me that things were about to change. Yeah. And it was one of those, you know, there was no questioning it. Things are about to change. Be ready. So I didn't, and that's pretty much all I got, and I didn't really know what that meant, but I went home uh, that day. Jennifer got home, and I told her what had happened, and I said, you know, we need to start praying because something's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And a week later, I was in the same spot pushing Jake uh, in the swing, and I got a phone call from Andy Christman. Mm -hmm. And Andy said, hey, um, I got your number from Mark Harris. Uh, I need to take a break from For Him. Dude, For Him was like my group. When I was in high school, I was going to be them, like... (laughs) <laughs> I love them. Like, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And they're one of the reasons why I wanted to be a Christian recording yeah. artist. Yeah. Like, I just loved them. They were like my idols, yeah. you know, so they to speak. They were huge. They were huge. And rightfully so. Yeah. Four of the most talented men um, that has ever been mm-hmm. in Christian music, yeah. for sure. So, you know, they call, Andy called. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Andy Christian was talking to me. And I had written a song with Mark for True Vibe. So Mark and I were kind of buddies. Um, I kind of look at Mark as like a big brother. Um, The big brother always, you know, wanted somebody that I could share music with. Because Brad, the only thing I could share with him music-wise was Run DMC. You know, like... (laughs) (laughs) He didn't share my, my same, like, affinity for music. And so, you know, it was Beastie Boys and Run DMC with Brad. Which I loved. But um, but Mark was like, you know, he was a songwriter. And he just, I felt like Mark got me. And so he was kind of like a brother to me. And uh, anyway, Andy calls and asked me to fill in for him for about nine months. Which is a huge job. Which is a huge job because he's Andy Christmas. Yeah. Um, and I don't sing as high as Andy does. Mm-hmm. You know, I do have a tenor voice. But I just, I mean, Andy's voice is... It's Andy's voice. Yeah. I mean, nobody sings like Andy. Yeah. I mean, he's amazing. And so, um, so yeah, he basically was like, Jason, could you consider doing this? Like, would you want to do it? He was like, just pray about it. You're like crying. <laughs> and I said, I said, dude, um, I don't need to pray about it. <laughs> I've been praying about it since I was five. I was like, I've been praying. Since <laughs> he was like, no, seriously. He was like, just take 24 hours even and pray about it. I was like, okay, I'll take it, but I don't need to. I was like, I'm going to call you tomorrow and tell you, yes. I was like, I'm going to do this. It's going to happen. Like, it, there's nothing to pray about. And so I did, man. I went on the road before him and loved it. Like, singing Basics of Life, you know. You did it for nine months? I did it for nine months. Almost okay. every weekend uh, for nine months. And I didn't realize it was that long. It was. It was. It was awesome. We did a crew. I went. I got to go on one of those, like, music boat or whatever cruises and sing there. And I thought that was so cool. <laughs> Um, you know, so I didn't, and I didn't get to do any of that kind of stuff with, um, True Vibe. No, you just, so, you just went to the Grammys with True Vibe. I just went to the Grammys <laughs> and movie premieres with them, but, but yeah, so like for him was just such a great experience for me, mainly because they, they loved each other. Yeah. 
And I hadn't experienced that. Yeah. My experience with, you know, True Vibe was all, you know, I love, I mean, I had close relationships in True Vibe. Um, but as a whole, we were not close. Right. Um, and we were extremely dysfunctional. And, um, and they were not. Uh, they loved each other. I mean, they had their issues. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you get four personalities in a room and they're all different. There's going to be stuff that happens. Yeah. But all that aside, there was... Every time there was a common thread of, this is this is who we are. This is why we do what we do, and we love each other. Yeah, and it was always evident. Yeah, no matter what happened behind the scenes. I mean, I I mean, I witnessed some arguments. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna happen. Um, but they loved each other, and it was evident. Mm-hmm. And I was like, gosh, yeah. this gives me hope. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So yeah, for him was a huge turning point for me, and I thought, man. I'm either going to work for people the rest of my life, uh, which is okay, you know. I can be the fill-in guy, you know, point of grace is calling next week. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I can go fill in for them. Um, or I can start my own band, yeah. you know. And I hadn't really thought about that uh, until then, until my time in for him. Right. And then what happened? So, okay, so I had done, because I was still doing studio work, I'd done a couple demos for this writer. Right. His name is Sam Mizell. He's a great writer. Um, and he basically wasn't working with this manager, uh, but was playing him songs, I guess, maybe for his artists, pitching songs right. and stuff. And so Gabe Vasquez and um, JT uh, Thomas basically had a vision of starting a, a guy's group. It would be kind of like a, have a Southern flair to it, right. a bit like Rascal Flats, um, and then CCM. <laughs> and so they had heard me sing on a demo that Sam had given them, and they were like, who's this guy? Yeah. And uh, he was like, oh, he's Jason Barton or whatever. He's just a singer in town. And, and they were like, can we get his info and meet with him? And so they, uh, Sam gave him my number. They called me and took me to breakfast and talked to me about starting this group. And I was like, uh-uh, I don't do groups. I was like, I mean, I'm singing in one because I'm hired to sing in one, but if I'm going to do something, I want to be a solo artist. Right. I was wondering if you, if there was that debate, because like even the solo thing there blew was. up in your face. It was like... If if the solo thing failed, it's just me. Yeah. Like, there's no other people to worry about. Yeah, You're no. like, I'm tired of dealing <clears throat> with personalities, and I'm tired of, like, um, you know, wondering if everything's fair, and, you know, like, I just... I just wanted to be alone, and I'm really good at being alone. Right. Quite honestly, like, I enjoy a movie by myself or a meal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I'm completely comfortable being by myself. Right. And so uh, I was like, I, I don't want to do it. I was like, but thanks. <laughs> and they said, just pray about it. <laughs> and Have I, you guys been talking to Andy? Yeah, for real. I was like, dude, uh, okay. Since you said that, I guess I have to. Yeah. You know, and my, I'd been scorned from management yeah. um, back from True Vibe. I mean, I had serious management issues where I just did not trust them. I was like, managers are snakes. Yeah. And they're only out for themselves. You know, they're really not out for me. Um, so I was like, uh-uh, not doing it. But I told my wife that day, I said, but there's something different about these two. Yeah. Um, I liked them. Yeah. And she was like, well, you know. She was like, just pray about it. So we met basically once a month for three months over the summer. Um, and every time I met with them, I felt more comfortable with them. And I felt like, you know what? They actually may be the real deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I really think that they care about me. Yeah. 
at the end of the day, I think it's not going to just be about money. Right. I mean, they're running a business. So money is going to play a factor, no doubt. But I do think that they care about me yeah. and have my best interest at heart yeah. and believe and see something in me. So, um, so I basically said, after praying about it for three months, we said, yes. Let's, let's and you're see still what this looks like. Him? I'm still on the road before him. Okay. I said, well, let's see what this looks like. You know, I was like, I, you know, I want to find the guys. I said, you know, they were like, you will own the group, you know, however you want to set that up. Um, you know, you can set it up however you want, mm. but you own the group. And I was like, well, I know what I'm not doing. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> keeping 51% and yeah. offering, you know, 16%. We're going to be equal partners across the board. Whatever I make, they make. Right. No one makes anything different. I'm like, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. And so... Um, so yeah, we just we set out to find guys, and Mark Harris told me uh, on the road one day we were sitting in an airport flying out, and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I gotta find these guys, and he was like, oh, I know this guy that plays guitar in uh, Mobile. He lives in Mobile. His name's Chris. He's like, and he's awesome. He was like, he he actually sings higher than you do. He was like, so harmony wise, it'd be perfect. <laughs> he was like, he was like, do you want to meet him? And I said, yeah, I want to meet him. And so we had a show in Daphne. A for him show, which I um, talked you into coming to, right? And uh, which you probably thought I was insane, uh, but I was like, I was like, I just I got to meet this guy because Mark kept talking you up, um, and so I remember you coming to that show, and um, and I remember talking to you, and <laughs> I remember while we were sitting there, like after a sound check, and I was like, this guy thinks that I'm like nuts. Um, no, you know what honestly was going through my head? I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there um, listening to you guys sound check. You know, it's for him on stage, besides Andy not being there. And honestly, would you love Andy? I know, I'm comparing you to Andy <laughs> Christman. Which there's no comparison. You can't compare me but to I Andy Christman. But I do remember Christman. going, dude can actually sing. But I mean, it is like, it was so weird not hearing Andy Christmas. Yeah. So it was a weird, like, because I'm going, he can sing, but it's not Andy. Like, you know, but he's like, not Andy. So. Like, I don't know if he's good because it's not Andy. <laughs> no, yeah, that's like comparing apples to oranges. You just can't compare Andy's Andy. Yeah. And you say, now, I mean, you, you've had a lot of these moments in your life, which now I'm kind of believing that you really, you really, um, you really n- knew this. But you say at that moment when we met, you're like, okay. It was like another sort of moment where like you knew this was. I like, shook your hand and knew that you were the guy. Mm-hmm. For 33 miles. Right. And now after hearing all the moments where you say God kind of spoke to you thing. And yeah. Like now I'm going, okay, I kind of believe that. I didn't know if it was something you just told radio stations, you know. Like, no, it's true, dude. Like <laughs> story. You can ask Jennifer. Yeah. Like I literally remember being um, at home talking to her. Um, we talked about it a lot. Yeah. Because you drug your feet quite a bit. Yeah. Because you were unsure yeah. about starting this. And it, rightfully so. You mm-hmm. should be unsure. Um. But I remember talking to her a lot, going, he's he just not going to do it. He's not going to do it. And I know that he's the guy. And if he doesn't do it, I don't know if I want to do it. Yeah. If I if he doesn't do it, I don't even know if I want to do it. Because I know that he's the right one. God told me, basically, <laughs> God said, he's it. So if he doesn't do it, then this is a wash. Like, we're going back to the drawing board. Yeah. You know, like, I just knew. Yeah. You know, and I literally felt like we shook hands and all, and it was like... God said, this is your boy. Were you getting excited about, not just because of meeting me, but like just in general, were you getting excited about, okay, I'm actually moving forward with a group 
And were you excited about it? Or were you going, what the heck am I th- doing? I think I was still apprehensive. Yeah. I think I was excited, but it was one of those things that I didn't want to let myself get too excited. It's like, don't set your expectation too high. Yeah. Because you've seen how this has worked out in the past for you. Not yeah. so well. And you're 30. Yeah. You know, like, we've moved into past our 20s, and I'm in the 30 at this point, starting over. Um, like, don't get don't get your hopes up. So right. I was apprehensive. But I, I think I was excited about it. Start to see, start to see it take shape. Yeah. Especially um, when I felt like, Anytime I feel like I hear a word from God, it's just assurance that I'm actually doing the right thing. Right. Because I question that a lot in my life. Like, am I even doing what I'm supposed to be doing? So when he tells me stuff like that, it's like, okay, we're on the right track. Yeah. I may not be getting it right every day, but we're in the we're in the ballpark. So, um, so yeah, I think just having those assurances made me excited about yeah. it. And then, you know, we cut that demo together, which turned out great. And, um, and then... We had, you know, three different labels who were interested in yeah. us and wanted to hear us and two of them that wanted to sign us. And so, and one that came back to the table going, I think we made a mistake, yeah. you know? I actually thought that we were fast, but after hearing True Vibe's story of how fast Dude, you were. Yeah, we were, True Vibe was way faster. <laughs> but it still was to be put in, again, putting guys, this wasn't really a, uh, somebody putting guys together, I mean, but because you were actually involved in looking and trying right. to find the right guys. But now, still, Collins was a little different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was having trouble finding um, finding a piano player. I just, I was. Mm-hmm. And so Collins was a little different in the fact that we ended up having like an audition right. um, for Colin for his spot. And, you know, we had a, Gabe had an intern in the office that w- went to Belmont. And he put a sign up at Belmont because students are there studying music. You know, people come to Belmont to try to get into a recording career. So he put something up there. So we didn't see, like, it wasn't like we saw hundreds of guys. We probably saw five guys or six guys. Um, But that's how we found Colin. Yeah. Through an audition process. You know, there was no other, like, you know, set time audition, you know, you know, for your position, that was just something that birthed through a yeah. relationship with Mark. Yeah. So, like, when did, after all the frustrations of, you know, solo thing blowing up, True Vibe, just, you know, when did you kind of go, okay, I can breathe, this is, this is actually working? I don't think I ever breathed. <laughs> I really don't think I did. You didn't have a moment? Did you have a moment where, okay... Cool. Or were you just so still? I think the moment that I finally was like, this is, we're legit, (laughs) was when we opened the Dove Awards that year. Yeah. There was something about that moment for me. Like I was, we were nominated for Best New Artist, Mm -hmm. you know, and we were, we were on stage at the Grand Ole Opry, you know, and we opened the show and it was like, this crazy surreal moment of like dude like maybe we've arrived a little bit yeah you know granted we didn't win the award brandon won it but i mean i uh i felt like at that moment i was like we actually could make a go of this yeah like that was but it wasn't until then and we'd had radio success you know up leading up until then and we'd heard our song in chick-fil-a in the bathroom and yeah when you're playing and there's toby mack and switchfoot and then amy and Finch Amy and Vince right are right, of, yeah. And Michael W is right in front of you, and so you're going, uh, you know, like this is actually real. It was, 
It was crazy. I remember doing the demo, going to Sam's house. Sam and his wife were both sick and hacking. They had the flu. Their house was 100 degrees. The lights were completely out. And that, I remember going to, going. <laughs> what have I done? Because <laughs> you were going to Berkeley. My, no, well, that was my first experience of studio work in, in Nashville. Nashville. And I was like, it's not the studio I pictured in my head. You know? Oh, yeah. And, um, it was a studio from like a movie. Oh, dude, yeah. Like, that's what we pictured. Cutting a demo, cutting a record in this gorgeous This guy studio, looking through the, the glass, glass going, yeah, man, sounds great. Let's yeah. do another take. But, um, this was not that. Those were exciting days. I mean, like, even, the, I think about the, the beginning and then the, the year. I mean, like, I Canada getting calls from Canada and other places, and no one even knew who we were, and things were... Things were rolling. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it it was, was exciting. You know what I mean? Like, because it was so new. So the first several years, first few albums, everything's looking up. Then as most businesses do, you, we hit a plateau. And so trying to find a moment where to catapult to the next climb, you know, it's like right. it's a spot and then you're trying to, you know, so the music was good. The fan base was great. The road was solid. Families were supportive. We were all close, but it just seemed like it wouldn't, we couldn't hit the next hump. Was that frustrating for you? Gosh, yes. Because I know we all felt it. You know, because we're going, this is actually good. You know, that's not an arrogant statement. It was just like, this is something actually worth investing yeah. your life in. And it was like, why can't we I know, do that? dude. I think that's, and I still don't have an answer to that. Mm. And that's, that's the haunting part of it. The whole, like, why and what would it have taken? And, you know, like, we just could not seem to find the rights. I mean, it all boils down to songs. Yeah. And we just couldn't seem to find the right song. And when we did find the right song, it was like, well, it doesn't say Jesus in it. It sounds you know? too country. It sounds too country. Oh, it doesn't like... say Jesus. So then, you know, we put out a song that says, G- talks about Jesus blatantly. And they don't and play that. It sounded less country. It sounded less country. <laughs> and it, it, like, we were, I felt like we were completely dancing around people all the time, trying to do what they wanted us to do. And it just, they were never happy. Yeah. And that was the frustrating part of the most frustrating part of 33 miles was seeing how we, when we came out of the gate, I mean, we, three of our first songs were in the top 10, you know, like people in radio seemed to love us. Yeah. And by the second record, I think that we had built a strong fan base and one life to love should have been a number one song. Mm -hmm. I mean, it should have been, there's no doubt in my mind that it shouldn't have been like it baffles me today. Yeah. And if people say the only reason it didn't go number one is because it did not say the name Jesus in yeah. it, you know, like, I, I don't know. I just think it's stupid looking back on it. But, like, I think that I found myself in a place of constant frustration of trying to please people. And I felt like I wasn't doing a good job of pleasing anybody. Yeah. I wasn't doing a good job of pleasing my managers. I uh, wasn't doing a good job of pleasing radio because mm. who knows what they want. Yeah. Like, and it changes on a day-to-day basis. And I felt like I wasn't doing a good job pleasing my family because mm. I was always gone. Um, I felt like I wasn't being a good dad to my kids. I wasn't being a good husband to my wife. I wasn't being good to you guys because I was always moody, mm. you know, because of all this other, you know, stuff. So, yeah, I mean, like, there was a point in 33 Miles where I'm like, yeah, this is my dream and I love it. And I love that we're in ministry and... People's lives are getting, you know, touched, and God is using this. Yeah. But why am I miserable? <laughs> yeah. In the middle of it, like, and it was just the pressure of it all, trying to be what everyone wanted me to be all the time, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Were you angry? 
I was. I, but angry for me is like... Angry for me is a is a strong word because I don't get... I don't think that I get angry a lot. I think I, I internalize it. Yeah. And then I blow up. Yeah. Um, and I, it takes a lot for me to get angry. Mm. So I think more than anything, I was sad and frustrated. Mm. You know? And felt defeated yeah. a little bit. Like knocked down. Um, you know, we were writing all those songs and it's like we take them in and people are like, eh, that's okay. Oh, you no, know, I remember writing for today... And even the, I remember the writers telling us they were exhausted from writing for our album yeah. and then being told it wasn't good enough. And we're just like, we're writing with great writers. And what stinks? Writing great songs. Is that we go in and we write these songs, you know, like Perfect People, we did not cut. And Natalie Grant cuts it and it's a hit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Mandisa cut another song that we passed on. Your song that was, what song did um, Stellar Cart cut of yours that was? Oh, You Could Be a Hero. You could be a hero. I mean, all these songs that we passed on that we were told were crap. Yeah. You know? And they end up being hits for other people. You know? And it's just like, I just felt defeated in the whole process. Yeah. Like, all the way around. I was just so tired of trying. Mm -hmm. That was a sad part when I look back on it. Like, I wish that I had enjoyed the journey a little bit more and not worried so much about what everyone... Not worried so much about what everyone else wanted. I yeah. just did what made me happy. Yeah. And I was like, and you can get on board or not. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And it's okay, you know. But all this pressure of, like, providing for our families and trying to be the biggest thing in the world so that, you know, we can support them and then retire early or whatever. You know, like, all of that pressure, whether I put that on myself or whether I felt like other people was putting that on me, uh, was just too much. Yeah. But I just, I was so exhausted. I think more than anything, too, when it, when you're an artist and you've created this, um, you've created this product that you believe in and you've poured your heart into it, and not only that, just I mean, you're pouring your talent into it. You know, like it's the combination of all those things. And when you feel like people are rejecting that, mm-hmm. you feel like they're. I don't want to say you as in anyone. I felt like they were rejecting me. Mm-hmm. And that, that hurts the most. Yeah. I felt like radio has rejected me. Yeah. And, you know, people have rejected me. And, you know, my songs are not good enough. And my voice is not good enough. Mm -hmm. And I am not enough. Right. And that's, that was, that was the biggest pain. Mm -hmm. And I put that on myself. Yeah. I was thinking about it because um, I still I, I still think about it quite a bit with me leaving and saying I'm done like getting married and deciding to have kids was easier <laughs> to do <laughs> than leaving. leaving 33 miles well I was just waiting on you to leave because I knew that you were leaving I mean like it was we all knew that you were leaving it was just like a matter of when like I because I mean I've had experience in this, and I've seen it happen, and I kind of knew, you know, I, I mean, I knew long before it happened yeah. that it was going to happen. But did that, I want, I've always wondered, like, you were, you were fried mentally. I was. Did that give you permission to kind of go, like, did you kind of go, you know what, I'm actually kind of relieved a little bit. Like, the idea of, like, if I don't continue this or whatever, was there sort of this, like... There, With you leaving, you yeah. mean? I think that I was relieved in the fact that I, um, 
you were just another person I didn't have to try to please anymore. Because yeah. I, like I said earlier, like, I felt like I was always, like, seeking approval. Mm. Um, you know, which is why I felt so rejected from everything. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I wanted someone to approve of me. And I felt like you didn't approve of me mm. in, in the end, in right. those last days. And I was like, gosh, I was like, I mean, my own bandmate doesn't want to, like, <laughs> be with me, you know? Yeah. Like, nobody wants, nobody wants me, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And so it was like, I think when you left, I mean, I honestly probably breathed a sigh of relief in the fact that um, I didn't have to worry about pleasing, right? getting your approval yeah. anymore. Um, that's not to say that I didn't mourn your loss, because I did. Yeah. I mean, when you left, it was kind of like, it was the end of a dream for me. Because like I said earlier, when we met, I was like, he, he's the one. Mm. And if he doesn't do it, I don't even know if I want to do it. Yeah. And so when you left, it was like, it was almost permission for me to be done. Yeah. Right. And that's what I guess what I was saying is like, it was it kind of like, you know. And I had to mourn that. Yeah. The loss of a dream, the loss of, um, the loss of a bandmate and the mm. loss of, you know, like, uh, the loss of all of it and stepping away from it and letting go of it completely yeah. because I didn't want to do it without you, mm. you know? And, you know, people told me to, you know, yeah. they still tell me to. Yeah. And I'm like, I just, I, I was a little to. sad to be honest with you. I went to the website and the website's not there anymore. Oh yeah. It's, is it gone? I mean, look. Yeah. It's down, and I was like, because uh, especially when I was preparing for this, I was going to go look and see if like, there was anything, you know. And I was like, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's not there. It's really done. Like, Dude, I know, man. And it was, I mean, it was super sad. The end of 33 Miles was different from the end of True Vibe. And that's, more than anything, that's what I wanted. Mm. I said, I want this to end differently. I want it to look differently. I want to be able to end this and say, look what we did. Yeah. Look what we accomplished and how incredible it was. Not, God, oh, I hate it. I hate my life. And I, man, there's so many things about True Vibe I can't even remember because I was so miserable and mad mm. that I literally, my, I think my subconscious has blocked it out. Like yes. I cannot remember it. Um, and I did not want that. I didn't want to feel that way about 33 miles because 33 miles was special to me. I mean, I was even going to get it tattooed on like my, like <laughs> Jennifer wouldn't let me, but like I was going to get it tattooed on this like shoulder back here. So like it was special to me and I didn't want it to, I didn't want it to have that sour taste in my, in my mouth that true vibe did. You know, I wanted to be able to look at it and be proud of it, mm. you know, and, and not hate it. And I can say that, yeah, I, I'm at a different place when it ended. I was like, okay, we can be done. And I can honestly say that I love Chris and I love Colin and I love everybody that was a part of our family. I feel like we're still a family. You know, we're not together every day and we don't see each other or talk to each other every day. But, you know. But there's a friendship there. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there is a, there is a fondness, Mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, there's a friendship. There's a special place in my heart. For you and for Colin, for everybody that was a part of our family. And, you know, I can say that now about True Vibe because Jonathan and I have gone and experienced, you know, some healing uh, through that. But 
you know, at the end of True Vibe, man, it took years. Yeah. I mean, it, I was in 33 miles years before Jonathan and I even reconciled. Yeah, that's true. You know, so, I mean, I probably was a decade of holding on to all of that. Yeah. And there was, you know, nothing to hold on to anymore. Someone said to me just yesterday, she was like, a girl uh, I was working doing a session with, she was like, are you writing anymore? And I said, I haven't written anything in a long time. She was like, why? And I was like, I don't know. I think when I just stopped doing 33 miles, it was just easier to step away from it. Mm. Um, because I don't know if I could take the rejection again, yeah. you know? And she was like, ain't it about time to get over that? <laughs> <laughs> She was like, isn't it about time to find some healing? I was like, well, maybe you're right. There's your like, guardian angel. You know, it? maybe it's time. But sometimes it is. I'm not saying it's healthy. But yeah. sometimes it's easier just to be done with it, you know? If you had to pick one song from 33 Miles. Apologize. Yeah, I thought. Hands down. Because I don't want to leave it. Bury it and That was when I came to terms about that time was when I decided, well, before then I decided to forgive him, but I probably was still holding on to some of the hurt from it. So writing Apologize uh, was a song written for Jonathan, um, basically acknowledging um, the hurt that I had caused. Because, I mean, he wasn't the only person who had done anything wrong. I had done plenty of stuff wrong Mm -hmm. and handled situations poorly because I was a kid and I didn't know any better. Um, And did not have anyone really directing me through that. And so um, I made some bad decisions, and I needed to say that I was sorry. So that was that song was for him. Um, so it was really cool later, years later, getting to play that song for him mm-hmm. and tell him I was sorry. It was really cool. So that was probably my favorite one. That's another song I feel like was meant to be on, like, an MTV reality and show. And Brown so. Bannister <laughs> produced it, yeah. which Brown, for me as a kid was like who I always wanted to work with because I was a kid who loved Christian music and I'd read the, you know, the Jay Cards and the uh, the liner notes and all the CDs that I had bought and he was producing everything that I loved, you know, Michael English and Amy Grant and all these great people. And so, like, for Brown to work on our record was, like, a dream come yeah. true for me. And so, like, that was my... Cutting that vocal with him was probably one of my favorite moments of 33 Miles. Well, I remember going back to do Gone to do the vocals for that and him saying, Jason's probably one of the finest singers I've ever had the pleasure of recording ever in Nashville. And I was yeah. like... I was like, can we get that in writing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Sign right here, Brown. I gotta frame that. For real. Post that on Facebook. Okay, so you kind of, you know, we, you started to develop this in 33 Miles and then fast forward... Now you're speaking full-time on behalf of child sponsorship. And so for those who, who don't know what that is, and you're really great at it, tell, like, just kind of share what, what that is, what the heart behind that is, and okay. what's going on there. So in 33 Miles, we were looking to partner, you know, as you know, with a 
with a ministry, so it wasn't so much about us. Mm. You know, I, we kind of got sick of ourselves, and we were like, we need to like do something else. So we partnered with this uh, ministry called Food for the Hungry, and we've been Food for the Hungry artists what like seven years. Yeah. So on the road, I had done these talks where I get up and I talk about you know poverty and about um, how just little changes in our own life, sacrifices, um, can you know by giving the small amount every month, you can really change somebody's life. Um, and we saw, I mean, how many kids did we sponsor in 33 miles? Like thousands and mm. thousands and thousands of kids. Um, so child sponsorship uh, throughout the course of 33 miles had become, you know, really, you know, a big part of our ministry yeah. and what we did. I mean, like people, even today, like still on the road, well, I've met people on the road who come up and say, I sponsored my first child at a 33 miles concert. <laughs> you know, like, so... Um, you know, it was a huge part of our ministry. So when 33 ended, I didn't know what I was going to do for a job. Like, I was like, we're not touring, and I'm not going to go tour without Chris. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what to do. So, like, um, Crystal at Feed the Children, who was with us at Food for the Hungry at the time, asked me to go on the road with Building 429 and just speak. She was like, you don't have to sing. You don't have to do anything. She was like, uh, you don't even have to work the table. Like, Courtney's going to be there to work the table. All you got to do is just go up and speak. Just what you did in 33 miles. So that's all you have to do. And I remember telling you, like, when we were talking about it, I was like, I'm just doing this because they're paying me. Like, I don't know what I, if this is even what I want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't know. But I, I have to have a job. I got to have a way to make money. So I guess I'm going to go do this. <laughs> I said, I'm basically a prostitute. <laughs> um you know, I'm going to go do it for the money. But I got out there and I, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to set up. Like, I don't have to like get off the bus at 9am and start setting up. I don't have to do, um, inventory of merchandise. Mm. I don't have to do sound checks and rehearsals and I don't have to go to radio interviews and I don't have to do meet and greets and I don't have to sing for an hour and a half and I don't have to tear down and I don't have to load out. I just have to speak for 15 minutes. Why haven't I been doing this sooner? <laughs> that was my first thought. But then I was like, ah, gosh, okay, I really enjoy this. Like, there was a freedom that came with it because I felt so much pressure for so long of holding everything together that um, something about getting up and speaking and it not being about me um, was so refreshing. And I loved it. And I felt like this is something that I can carry, you know, through the rest of my life. This this gift that I have to feel like when I walk into a, a room, whether it be 500 or whether it be 5,000 people, that I can connect um, with people and I don't have to sing. Yeah. I was like, wow. Okay. So the more I dove into that and realized, you know, that I had a gifting in it, the more I really started to enjoy the road. And, and it was hard at first because I spent a lot of time going, why am I not on that stage? Yeah. That was the hardest part. Other art, you're going on tours watching Well, I'm watching my friends. Yeah. You know, Building 429, who we toured with, mm-hmm. you know, forever. You know, they're friends of ours. And they're on stage killing it. And, you know, I'm the, no one knows who I am. Yeah. You know, like, and um, so that was really hard. And it was hard for a good, I've been doing it now for almost two years. The first year was hard. Yeah. The second year, 
I got to a place where um, I realized that a lot of my issues were pride. You know, why me? Why not me? You know, why is that not me? And a friend of mine made me realize that that was pride speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, that I needed to celebrate the artists that I was on the road with. And, um, and to really enjoy their set and enjoy what I do. And realize that although this whole half of my life has been music, maybe God's got something else for me. Mm-hmm beyond music um and because i've always said that i don't know what i'm gonna do if i don't sing you know and this whole door opened up and i just kind of i feel like i stumbled into it and then i'm here and just man i'm at a place where i love what i do and you know there are times that i miss the whole artist thing but what i've gained um in letting go of singing you know and letting go of that dream is I've allowed God to birth a different dream in me mm. um, of speaking on behalf of people that can't speak for themselves and seeing literally, like, lives change every night. And that was one of the things in 33. Like, I felt like we would go into a place and we would play and we would leave. And we don't see people's lives. We don't see the music changing people's lives. Right. You hear stories of it. People, you know, Facebook or send a message or they'll come up to you afterwards and maybe tell you, but you don't get time to invest in their lives. Right. So you don't see that change. And every night, you know, I look at that stack of envelopes sitting there, you know, and I can literally see like physical evidence of lives that are going to change. And you've been overseas and to I've see I've seen it. Well. it. Like, yeah. yeah, like I just got back from Dominican Republic three weeks ago Mm. and saw like I saw a village where we had been working for a year um which looked like a war zone Mm. in my opinion when I went into it and in the same country I went into a different village we've been in for seven years and it looked completely different like night and day different and all from like 35 dollars a month from somebody like for for us that's nothing yeah you know but for you know, people in a third world country, that's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, I look at that stack every night and I know that people's lives are being changed and to play a small part of that is huge to me. And to be able to, you know, show my kids that, um, my plan is to take the boys on a trip this next year. Um, I really want to do that with them. I tried to do it this time and it just didn't work out, but I want them to be able to see that when I'm not home, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? That's great. And I'm not just singing, you know, songs because, you know, and there's nothing, man, if I could rewrite it all and and have it all, absolutely, yeah. I would do it. I would be singing songs and sponsoring kids right. and, you know, we would be selling out masks in Square Garden. <laughs> you know, like, absolutely. if I had it my way, but it just, it's not how, it's just not how it played out. Yeah. You know, I think the whole true vibe thing prepared me for 33 miles and I think 33 miles <laughs> definitely prepared me for what I'm doing now yeah. um, and so now because it's I originally like, was speaking on behalf of people for the hungry you were and I sucked at and it. I remember going I don't want to talk anymore I can't talk anymore that was why I did it is because I was, I was like, like I think Chris should do it I'll go take a break and I was I'm like I need a break blue chunks at it <laughs> <laughs> you did not so, blue chunks it was it. bad but I, but you do um, have a gift at it. But you? I remember Gabe sending me down and saying, Jason, I know that you don't want to do this, but I really think that you need to give it another go. Mm-hmm. And so um, so that trip to Guatemala, you know, after that, 
I think the trip changed the whole pitch perspective perspective because yeah. we hadn't really seen it at that point yeah. you know like and when we saw it and I came back and I could like sit down and that does help and write it out it completely helped and yeah. it changed everything and um you know and so I, you know I I credit Gabe for pushing me but that's the thing like I I've had and this is a theme in my life I've looked back on and just talking with you today I can see it people pushing me along yeah. And we all need somebody in our lives like that who pushes us, who challenges us, who says, you know, I think that you can do this yeah. and you need to at least try it. You need yeah. to go for it, you know, and there will be people in your lives like my friend that called me and was like, you need to hang this up, Yeah. you know, but, you know, and I think that there are, there's a reason people, God places those people in our lives, you know, but man, more so than any, I think we need people encouraging us and pushing us towards greatness because you know, the world's scary and it's easy to sit back and not do what, you know, to not do it. Yeah. You know, it would have been really easy for me to be like, huh, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to talk in front of people. That's scary. Yeah. I only sing, you know. Because like, now you're, you're playing a key part in helping people who live in extreme poverty, which is huge. Which is huge. You know, and, and until I, you really see it, you don't really get that. Right. You know? I love it. I love that aspect of it. I love looking at those faces every night and just, you know. Seeing them, I see the kids that I sponsor, you know, Jennifer and I and the boys, we sponsor about three kids. Mm -hmm. And man, I just, I know that their life is changing. And it's just cool to be a part of that. You know, I picture one day, like, I don't know. I I just hope one day, like when it's all said and done and we're in heaven, you know, like I can see all these kids, you know, that are, you know, that, that are there because somebody sponsored them. Yeah. You know, and because of it, they came to know Christ, you know, I I just, there's no limit to what it can do. Sponsorship does so much more than just, you know, feed people and clothe people. I mean, anybody can take a handout all day long, but the one thing I love about sponsorship is they don't just hand it out. Like they, they teach people and they push people to become more than, than what they are, to exceed their expectations, you know, to go you can do this, and here's how, and I'm going to give you the tools to help you do it and to teach you how to grow your own crops and teach you how to purify your water and to take care of it and to teach you how to educate your kids and to protect them and to teach them. And not only that, you know, here's the greatest gift that you could ever be given. You know, you have a God that loves you and created you and has a purpose for your life that may not look exactly like it looks right now. Maybe he wants you to do this, and it's possible, and you can achieve it. Um, you know, it's all for me, it all goes back to hope, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just about feeding people. It's about giving them hope yeah. and hope is something that, um, uh, without it, you know, you're not going to last long. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. You know, um, we've talked about music and all that stuff and I'm trying, I'm you know, kind of wrapping up here in, in just a bit. Uh, you know, we've talked about, um, uh, Jen, your wife, but you know, like, you know, she's been incredibly supportive and been an awesome partner for you in life and everything and just with all the things and she's always been supportive and loving to you and one of the things besides being a great singer and a great speaker is some of the people don't know about you is you're one of the most excellent husbands and fathers oh, thanks man. ever, ever known. and like one of the things I've always, I, I think one of the things that sold me in joy um, on the idea of doing 33 miles with you is when you said to us it was something of, you know, I can sing in front of thousands of people, but my number one ministry is my family. And if I fail at that, 
Then, then I failed. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, what have I accomplished? And that spoke volumes to, to us. And it wasn't something that you just kind of, it sounds like a nice little thing you frame on the wall. It's like, it's really what you've lived. And you've struggled with the idea yeah. of not being that, like when you've been on the road and stuff. So like, um, how do you, being a guy who's gone all the time, like, how do you keep your marriage healthy? What do you guys do? We talk constantly, uh-huh. like all the time, even when I'm in town, like if I'm not here and I'm in, you know, I'm working, doing sessions, doing whatever, we talk constantly. When I'm on the road, we are calling three, four times a day. Yeah. We talk nonstop. Like communication for us is like everything. Yeah. Um, you have, you have to talk and you have to, um, you know, you have to be engaged no matter where you are, whether you're here because you can be in your own house and not be engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I just, I try my best that when I'm home, to be home. Um, and that's another thing that I, I think that speaking has afforded me. Uh, to be able to not think about writing the next hit song and doing all this. You know, my yeah. mind is not consumed by all these other things. You're here. I'm You're here. Present, yeah. And I don't have anything else to do. I don't have any, unless I'm going to do a session, you know, or anything like that. I don't have anything else to do. Yeah. No other responsibilities other than to be here. Um, so that's been a huge gift that, um, speaking has given me, but, um, but yeah, like just even when you're not here being on the road, like I FaceTime with my kids and her all the time. She and I talk three and four times a day, you know, always knowing what's going on in everyone's lives and just being present, um, is the biggest thing. Yeah. And I got lucky, man. I married my best friend. Mm -hmm. We were best friends for a year before we even dated. So like, um, I don't know. We just, I mean, she's like my, she's my better half. She's, she's the unsung hero. She is. I mean, <laughs> she holds down the sport, like the things that she does. I mean, she launched a business three years ago on her own with a mm-hmm. business partner. You know, like what she does and I'm not here is amazing. Because yeah. like, she, I remember like a couple years ago, she left for like a girl's weekend. I was like, oh, it'll be fine. You know, like go have fun with your friends. I was here. I wasn't working. And. I kept the boys all weekend by myself, took them to all of their stuff. She came back and I was like, don't ever leave again. Yeah. I was like, it's crazy. Like how, you know, I don't know how she does it, but yeah, what she does is incredible. Mm. And I'm thankful that I have, God did give me someone who not only like believes in me, but believes in what I do and why I do it. Mm. And it's not just about me. We kind of view it as a family, you know, Every, all of us, we're all doing this together. Yeah. So it's kind of team Barton around here, yeah. you know. And, you know, it doesn't hurt that I like to clean everything. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. hurt that I like to do laundry <laughs> and fold. That speaks volumes to a woman, I'm I sure. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Now if I could just cook. Yeah. <laughs> now you guys have had, you know, you had three mis- miscarriages, but... You know, two. Two, sorry. Two miscarriages. You have three beautiful boys. And so, what is what is it about being a dad that you most enjoy? That's really hard to say, because there's so much about it that I um, that I love. I love looking at them and knowing that there's little pieces of me and Jennifer inside of them. I love seeing them like get it mm-hmm. when you're trying to teach them, not just like baseball. Or I mean, it's fun to watch them get baseball or you know ride their bike and. You know, but when they, when you're trying to train them, like, life lessons, you know, and to see them, like, get it. Yeah. 
and a switch goes off, you know, like to me, that's one of the best things about being a dad is just pouring your life into, uh, into somebody else, you know, completely giving, you know, it's, it's one of the most, you know, selfless things that you can do is be a parent, Mm -hmm. um, sacrifice your, you know, your time and maybe the things that you enjoy doing or, you know, money to go towards their things or, you know, but being able to do that, that in itself to me is a gift to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's something I love, Yeah, you know, and I just, I love being with them. I love playing ping pong with them. (laughs) I love like singing songs around the house and driving them notes. Yeah. Like that's my favorite thing to do probably because, um, I love being super goofy and my boys are, Jackson is completely crazy. Yeah. And, and fun. Jake and Jonah are a little more tightly wound than yeah. he is. So, like, it's fun to, like, really goof off in front of them and watch them get really <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, but, yeah, man, just, um, I don't know. I, I just, I'm in love with them. Yeah. I'm awesome. in love with them in every every sense of the word. They're just, they're, they're good kids. They're not perfect kids by any means. Gosh, they're not perfect. Um, but neither am I. Yeah. And no one is, and but they're good kids, yeah. you know. So. I love how your parents, like, just listening today, like how the family sort of values and team thing, how they instilled that in you, and how that is, yeah, you've carried that into your own family. When does Jason Barton most feel alive? Oh man, when do I most feel alive? With a bucket of pot, buttered popcorn. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> a big one. The biggest one, too. That's what's so funny. We can get refills, Chris. I think I feel the most alive when I'm leading worship. Yeah. There's that whole, like, and I've said this to you before. You've heard me say this, but there's a moment that I have almost every time that I am leading worship that I really feel like in those moments, God smiles at me. Mm-hmm. And I know he smiles at me other times. But I think he really smiles yeah. when I lead worship. And it's like, that's my boy. Yeah. Like, I feel... It's almost like I feel that pride um, from my dad, mm-hmm. you know? And that's something I think that we long for, mm-hmm. you know? At least I... You know, we, we've talked about this. I don't remember if we talked about it today or another day, but, you know, like... Father's approval is like everything mm-hmm. to a boy, at least. Yeah. Like you want your dad to approve of you, and you know, and love you, and be proud of you. And um, so, I mean, and and my dad has done a great job of mirroring mirroring that um, from God. But man, I feel like he's, you know, I feel like he's proud of me. That's your moment. Best advice you've ever been given. Best advice I've ever been given. Don't be a prostitute. <laughs> that is probably that probably down. is Some hands down best. the best advice. I would second best. I would say is bloom where you're planted. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's the advice I give young kids when they're like, "I want to move to Nashville." I'm like, "Don't, don't do that. Make the most of where you're at, yeah. and then see where it takes you." Uh, worst advice? You have any bad advice? Quit. You need to be done. Be realistic. Yeah. Don't be realistic. Dream, man. Yeah. Go for it. Anything's possible. That's awesome. Especially when you've heard from God. <laughs> it's like, five years old. You know, it's like, why am I questioning this? You know, I'm not going to quit. Uh, favorite book? Books? Any books that have inspired you? That... I don't like to read. Yeah. I just like to watch TV. 
Um, <laughs> it's fine. No, I did, favorite books. Probably, um, I love Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. Those are f- always fun to pick up and read. Uh, and I really love, man, Blue Like Jazz, uh, Donald Miller. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that a Christian book could be like that. Yeah. Like, when I read that book, it was like, good night. Um, but lately, I haven't done a lot of reading. Yeah. That's fun. Other That's than good. Psalms. Yeah. <laughs> Those are good. Um, any mentors? Yes. Mentors. Sherry Skyro. Okay. Um, I recently lost one of my mentors. Mm-hmm. She passed away. Her name was Karen Aiken, and she was the director of admissions at Louisiana Tech. But she is somebody that, um, and she always believed in me. Yeah. And she always gave me opportunity. And even when I didn't want to do uh, certain things, she would create like a way for me to do them. Like I wasn't going to do Joseph and the Amazing Technical of Dreamcoat. And I feel like that actual production is what changed the whole course of my life. Um, Because I decided to major in music (laughs) that next year and really go after this. And I would have not, I would have never done that show had she not um, arranged for me to take her daughter to the audition. Like she basically like went behind my back and talked to the director and was like, I will get him to that audition. Mm -hmm. And she basically like made me take her daughter. That's awesome. And while I was there, they're like, Oh, well you're already here. Can we just sing for us? Um, Yeah. And so she was always that and she just passed away. So we just lost her uh, in December to cancer, but she was a huge influence in my life. Mark Harris Mm -hmm. um, was another one. Um, Mike Benefield who taught, um, who was, uh, a teaching pastor at my church in college. I wanted to be like Mike. Hmm. <laughs> That's what he says. I want to be like Mike, not Michael Jordan. Um, but him, um, my parents for sure. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know Beyonce. I'm just playing. <laughs> not really. Any regrets? Uh, yes. Yes, regrets. You don't have to share them if you don't want. No, I basically one time. Um, so I mentioned earlier, I went to Los Angeles with some friends and we thought we were going to sign a record deal. (laughs) So funny. Um, but there was four people in our little group and one of them, the company that we were working with was not interested in. Mm -hmm. They didn't want him. And so the three of us basically went without him and I regretted it every day. Yeah. It just wasn't right. right. It was like either you take all of us or you don't take any of us. Like, it was like, we were just so hungry mm-hmm. and young and stupid. Yeah. That and I, I mean, I basically lost a friendship over it. I mean, I would say that we're, you know, we're good today because mm-hmm. so much time has passed, and I've talked to him since then. But but still, but still, it's just it was not right. Yeah. So like, anytime anyone ever asks, you know about situations like that. I'm like, do not leave somebody behind. Yeah. No dream is, you know, more important than that. It'll work. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. It'll happen. Don't just cut somebody off. Yeah. You know? And But we did. We were like, we're going to L.A. <laughs> Hollywood. What do you want to be most remembered for? Or how do you want to be remembered in the end? I want to be remembered for how I loved. I think that Early on in life, it was like, I just want to be a great singer. Yeah. I want people to, like, I want to put a microphone on my tombstone. Like, I want to, I want people to remember, you know, my voice. And I wanted to, you know, 
I guess, be frozen in time, you know, as a vocalist. But I think more than anything, I just want people to say that I was somebody that loved well. Yeah. That Jason, you know, he loved me, you know, and he did it well. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that matters more to me than anything. It's like yeah. I said, like, if I, if I fail mm-hmm. at being a husband or a father, you know, nothing I do musical will ever matter. Yeah. It's all meaningless. Yeah. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is how did I love you know, I don't think that someone, a friend of mine said this. I'm not going to take credit for it. But he said, I don't think that I'm going to get to heaven one day. Um, and God's going to say, well, you can't come in because you love too much. Yeah. You know, and I thought, God, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a good you perspective. Know? Like, I just, I want to be known for that. Yeah. Well, hopefully... I, when I left, I, pa- I posted the first podcast last night, and overnight I got 250 plays so far. So that's a good start, I guess. So, that's an incredible start. So for pe- you know, if there is an audience out there for this, hopefully you've encouraged them and being them being young, you know, a young singer or somebody who's shooting a dream or husband, dad, or you know, just your story somehow hopefully has spoken into their lives. But so hopefully you've encouraged people, but also want you to be encouraged. And so um, so I just have a few things here. So for you, uh, being a friend a person of integrity and character, an example of what an excellent husband and father should be. Uh, you're always concerned about the well-being of others um, and willing to help others when you have need, when they have needs. Uh, you're an incredible singer, one of the best, whether you realize it or not. Uh, you've inspired thousands through your music. You're helping create a more hopeful future for those who live in extreme poverty. And you've been a brother to me, understanding when I've been the most stubborn of people to live with, and I am stubborn to live with. Uh, in a listening ear that's always been open. Uh, I know that I speak on behalf of myself and many others, but I want you to know that you and your family are dearly loved, mm. especially by me and Joy, and um, we, you're greatly appreciated. And I'm thankful that after all that we've been through, our friendship remains very strong. So thank you, and thank you for being Dude, on I the love podcast. you. Thanks, man. So i got to ask you, in closing, you have one minute left on the podcast or before you drop the mic on the stage the mic on the stage what are your famous last words <laughs> Barton out <laughs> <laughs> boom <laughs> <laughs>